welcome to the GNT Show. All right, welcome everyone to another GNT Show. Um, this week I have had catastrophic back failure, so G has kindly volunteered <laughs> to carry me during this podcast. Uh, which will make a welcome change after carrying him for 28 weeks. And he has said to me that he has enjoyed his newfound freedom in New South Wales that Gladys has provided to him by staying at home. How are you, G? I'm great. I'm really excited about being semi-vaxxed and being able to have a picnic with only other people in the house. You said vaxxed, right? Yes, not waxed, vaxxed. Just checking, because that's a lot of wax. We can't get the wax happening. Um, They're closed at the beautician, so uh, maybe when they're open, we'll we'll get that started again. Can I ask you a serious question? Yes. Uh, People can't see you on this pod, and I know that the waxing and beauticians have been closed. Yes. But your eyebrows are perfect. I have wonderful eyebrows, apparently, but... If they don't get a regular trimming, I could be going the way of John Howard. Or aggravation for those of you that remember. Yes, aggro. They need to be um, trimmed every now and again. So have you been trimming them? Yes, I have to. Have you been plucking them? No plucking, just trimming. Have you been waxing them? No wax, no. Does your dating profile only have a picture of your eyebrows? Because those big thick eyebrows have been in for a while, um, that would actually work better than my actual face at the moment. Oh, don't be like that, G. Come on. Don't be like that. You're a very attractive man. You have been mistaken for Todd Payton in your dreams. Yes, I just need the light blue contact lenses. All right, shall we get on to the footy? I know people certainly are not ringing up or uh, listening to this for uh, grooming tips from us. No, um, no. <laughs> it, is a, it is a footy podcast. Shall we move on to the news? Yes. We, 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 we've got an interesting week because there was only two games, and given our track record, we should be able to cover those two games in six or seven hours. No, no, we're getting so, down now. It's about two and a half hours. Yeah, so we'll cover the two games, but we'll cover the news of the week, another big week. Yes. Um, and then we're going to do our team of the year ahead of the Dally M's. And G should get this out just before the Dally M's in 2022, Correct. hopefully. So, so you, can, you can look back and see how right we got them. But let's start off with the news of the week. I'll start at the top and we'll work our way down because yes. there is an emperor story. We haven't had an emperor story in a few few months. He's been relatively quiet. Yeah, he has been silent. He has been. Maybe well, he's... It's, not, it's not easy invading Gaul. I told you it's um, grape grape season, so he's enjoying the um, enjoying the fruits of the the grapevines at the moment. He's of relaxed. His labor. Yes, he is. All right, let's start by James McManus's case has been settled as we foreshadowed on last week's pod. Um, it, it settled without a damages payout. So what that essentially means is both parties cover their legal costs and James McManus doesn't get a payment. This did prompt a few dinosaurs in the league to come out. Of course um, it did. AKA Phil Gould to say our sport is different to the NFL, that there's nothing to worry about with, con- or words to the effect of that there's nothing to worry about concussion and that people take this risk and, and, and our situation will be different. I think that's an incredibly archaic view I think this is a stay of execution rather than a vindication. What are your thoughts on this one, Jim? Oh, I couldn't agree more, unfortunately, with you. But um, it is. It's an archaic view. But it's You're staving off the execution. I mean, once I think more players start to come forward, it, you start to get a, an indication of the magnitude of the issue. Rugby league seems to have a bit of a silence code. The old school's kind of quite tough. The old school rugby league players, they probably don't speak up as much about some of the symptoms. Bit by bit, I think you're going to find more and more players becoming a bit more vocal about it. And in in regard to being different than the NFL, yeah, it is a different sport. But if he actually read some of the research properly, a lot of it is actually these micro brain shaking 
collisions. That's right. It's not necessarily the conditions that cause the concussion. It's the repeated head knocks. Repeated that aren't head knocks. Concussions. Yeah, that's Which, right. Rugby league. Every time you run the ball and get hit, is a head is pretty much shaking up the brain. So um, quite a archaic view. Like we said before, I hope the NRL gets its shit in order, really, and actually sorts itself out and starts to work with men of league and the players and really starts to put something in place to help help these guys because it is going to impact them. The research shows that it is. I think that's right. All right. All right, let's move on to the next story. So we watched that story with bated breath. Yep. Um, Tim Sheens has been appointed in the new role of director of full football. Now... Tim Sheens originally got recruited to the Tigers earlier this year. He still hasn't stepped foot inside the country as um, effectively the Phil Gould role in what he originally went to the Panthers for, which was the recruitment and development pathways. His role's now been expanded to actually be the director of football, effectively the general manager of the football department, which is an interesting appointment. It effectively now means he's going to be Madge Maguire's boss. Yes. If Madge Maguire is there. News Corp is reporting today that Madge Maguire will be sacked. It's currently at a board meeting at the moment as we speak to decide his fate. The message out of uh, Penrith is that Cameron Sheraldo, who's the favourite and been mentioned for the role, is not interested, and I don't blame him. I think they're my favourites for the Wooden Spoon along with the Cowboys next year. I think you have to be very careful when you're a coach picking your next spot. It's kind of weird in that if a team's on the way down, we don't look at it and say, okay, they're bottoming out, as you say. It's almost like the new coach is blamed for them going worse than the year before, even though you can clearly see... They're on the downside. I think the problem for Madge is this is the third season. It's a bit like it's a bit like the Canterbury situation. If you're going to bottom out, that's a legitimate strategy, right? The Roosters did it when they had all those injuries a few years back, and then they bounced straight back up, right? The, the, the problem for Canterbury and Wests and some of these clubs is that the bottoming out's taking too long. Well, it is. You it's... need to bottom out, clear your cap, recruit or have youngsters coming through the system and get on with it. He's got to really understand where the club is at, what their expectations are, but to be honest, watching what they've done with Maguire and all the leaks and trying to undermine him in the press and all this other kind of stuff, after they've made a decision earlier in the year to you know, re-sign him and extend his contract, would you want to go there if you're Cameron Geraldo and if you're highly rated? I wouldn't. I'd be very, very wary. I mean, I know NRL jobs don't come up that often. Even though the Tigers have potential, is the culture right there? Maybe with Tim Sheens, things are different. I don't know, but... Um, you'd have to be wary. I, I think they should give Madge McGuire another go, even though I don't think he's the guy for the job. But there's no reason why you have to get rid of him at the moment. He's got his players. He's got his squad. Does he want to stay? I mean, it's uh, almost... I, my kind of my view on this is it's kind of almost untenable, isn't it? I, I think the head office has got to bear more accountability. Justin Pascoe and the good clubs. Nick Politis is... I mean, we joke about Nick yeah, Politis. He's always mentioned, but he's never quoted. No. And Haji Pantelis is very vocal for a chairman. It is a governance role. I can see Madge Maguire probably, you look at his character, he's fiery, he's gritty, he's determined. You'd think he'd probably give them a big FU and stay and try and do his best. But it almost does feel a bit untenable at the moment. I don't know where they're going. But um, there's always going to be someone willing to you know, step up and, and give an NRL gig a go because they've been waiting for an opportunity. And It's looking like England. Tim Sheens will bring a coach in from England. Interesting, okay. All right, well, let's move on to the next story which caught my eye, which was Jared Mullen. Yes, remember Jared Mullen? I do remember He was Jared going to be Mullen. the next Andrew Johns. He actually had a great left boot, boot. He was actually a better player than people remember him. I think his last four or five years has tarred him, given the drug scandal and all the rest of it. Um, he's been inducted into the Newcastle Hall of Fame, which has caused 
mixed reactions from Knights supporters. But mixed reactions, T, because they don't think he's worthy of being in the Knights Hall of Fame or mixed reactions because of the off-field stuff? The off-field stuff, I believe. Well, hello, Andrew Johns. I mean... Is there an argument there? Like, are we having a, are we even having a discussion? What is it about Newcastle halfbacks? I mean, if you're looking at the off-field stuff, then where's the uproar about Andrew Johns? You know, it's hypocritical. I get it, but from a, a player perspective, I think he has been somewhat diminished over time in terms of what the way, like you say, people remember he him. Was he was a better actually, player than people remember him as. He was really good, and he got to a point where some for some reason had a few injuries, lost his confidence, and then it was downhill, but he was really, really talented, good player. I, I think it's a bit overblown, but, you know, social media at the moment, any sort of fault they can pick on, it creates some noise and debate. Oh, so let me summarise that. You think it was the right decision to have him in the Hall of Fame? I think so. He's one of their better players. He's one of their all-time best players, Oh, he's played 200-odd right? games for yeah. them. He's captain them on occasion. Um, Danny Bedeiros came out and goes, everyone deserves a second chance. Apparently, by all accounts, he's got his life back into order now. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think I think, I think think he's done his crime. And Yes. You, you can't wipe out what he did on the football Correct. Field. And, you know, like you say, he's one of their best players of all time. So, yes, absolutely. All right, let's... Let's move on to some other stories. Um, it looks like Billy Slater looks like he's going to be confirmed as the Queensland coach this week. And the Queensland Rugby League are looking at bringing in Wayne Bennett as a mentor. Of course. And having Cam Smith on the coaching staff. Now, which is interesting because Cooper Cronk's on the board at the QRL. <laughs> so let me, let, me, let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. Cooper Cronk's on the QRL board and he's employed by two clubs. Can we can we just can we just drop the pretense here and just give Cooper Cronk a role at every club? Correct. It's like Paul Green was interested in maybe coaching again, so he got the chop. Makes total <laughs> sense. It's uh, I don't know. Oh look, I think it'll be good to have Billy Slater there. I I don't know. Cameron Smith just looks better than he ever has than he ever did on the field in his Channel Nine blazer, and he looks sharp. But I, I haven't really gotten much from him when I'm watching him. But um, Billy Slater's ultra sharp and really good at explaining some of the tactics and some of the um, nuances of the game when he's allowed to, I think. Um, so I think he'll be a good appointment. He's got a, he's got a sharp brain for it. I think he'll be good. I mean, I'm in two minds about this. Billy Slater doesn't strike me as an inspirational coach, and often inspirational coaches do better in origin. Tell them... I mean, I, I worry, is Billy Slater going to be a bit like Glenn Hoddle? It came really easy to him. Oh, that's a good comment. I'm... He's, a, he's, he's the natural, right? And they don't have a better playing roster than New South Wales. So last year they won with an inferior talent pool because Wayne Bennett was able to get him up. So it's not really about tactics at origin level, right? No, it's not. Because if it really was about tactics and talent, no matter what we say for... I mean, Queensland did have the dominant 13 for a long time, not because they well, won. Well, they had a better team. I mean, that's why they won. They had a better course. team. But outside of that, a lot of it is, like you say, the motivation. It's a, it's getting up for one game. There's a lot of players that can play a great game at Origin and then week to week in the NRL, they're ordinary generally because it, they, it's the hype. It's the magnitude. It's the event. So you make an interesting point about Billy Slade. I'm not really sure if I've thought about it that way in terms of him being overly inspirational. I actually think Billy Slater would be better the other way. I think Brad Fittler's good at origin level, not good at club level. I agree with that, yes. I think I think Billy Slater, given his tactical acumen, would actually be better at club level than origin level. I actually agree with that. I think Billy Slater would be really good at club level. And Wayne level. Bennett doesn't have a role next year. I mean, why wouldn't you? But he's, he ruled himself out, but... I mean, what's he busy doing? We're still in a global lockdown. He can't travel any, anywhere. What's he going to do? Conquer Castle Grayskull? Who, Wayne Bennett, that's Skeletor. Yeah. Yeah, probably, yeah. yes. 
I think it's a good appointment. I think you'll be okay. Yeah, jury's out for me. Jury's out for me. The Eels, again, announced... I don't know why they were... I I didn't quite get this news article during the week because they've already announced it. They announced the $60 Centre of Excellence again in Kellyville that's being built. It's being partially funded by a grant from uh, various different governments and they're still looking for the state government to chip in. Um, it'll be the largest of its kind in the Southern Hemisphere, just to remind our listeners. So it looks amazing, actually, and it'll have it'll have equal um, usage for men's and women's. So that's that's a really good for the NRL team. It so is. that's fantastic. Is it, it is it just for the NRL or rugby league? I believe so. Okay. I believe so. Or Parramatta Football Club. Yep including the women's team. So that's yep. fantastic that they're going to have these great facilities and that'll be great for the women's game out there as well. I, I just wanted to draw attention to the fact that we're building this Centre of Excellence in Kellyville. West Tigers are building it at Concord and you guys have converted Belmore Car Park to a vaccination centre. Well, I think it just shows how much of a community club we are and you guys are totally driven by selfishness. Well, I'm sure that'll help you on the field. We're, we're worried about the health of the community and looking after New South Wales under COVID and you're worried about building a $60 million centre of excellence and wasting money that just only applies to Parramatta players. Disgraceful. If the government gave $60 million grant to Canterbury, how, many, how much of that do you reckon would find its way to a centre of excellence? Look at the new car park at Belmore. Considering the count, considering the council <laughs> development over the past few years, don't get fired, G. They'll probably um, build a center of excellence in the basement of a seventy-five story unit block. You got to think to yourself that probably won't cost sixty million dollars in the basement. The building might. Yeah, if you walk along Canterbury Road, or if anybody's been down there lately, there's a lot of development going on. So it'll probably be a center of excellence um, under multitude of units, high-rise tower blocks. <laughs> And I'm sure the ventilation and building quality will be amazing. Of course, it would be. COVID-free basement. Staying on the dogs. Yep. Adam Elliott got sacked. Yes. I can't remember whether we mentioned this last we week. We did. We had a good chat about that. I was a bit upset he got sacked. And did we mention John Asiata going to the dogs? Asiata is one of those players that's a, always had the wrong coach. Because Dude, forget about that. What is the question you're asking yourself that John Asiata is the answer? Number one, he's always had the wrong coach. Number two, he's never really been fit enough. And number three, he was a Roosters gun junior probably about eight or nine years ago that we're still waiting for him to reach his potential. But is he a, is he a half or is he a back rower? They said they recruited him as a back he's rower. He's a back rower prop. He's one of those middle forwards. Yeah, and he's a, he's a middle forward yes. with, with a lot of ball playing, right? Yeah, which is so never allowed the, to that's use. That's what he brings. Sure, but that's that's the idea behind it. But what is... You still need a halfback. I mean, look, why was, why was another back rower the answer? How many back rowers do you need? I honestly don't know. And this, I don't understand the recruitment. I mean, there's all sorts of rumours that Luke Thompson's going to go to... And Adam Elliott will end up at the Tigers and all that sort of stuff. But the North Queensland finished like 13th or 14th this year. Yeah. They weren't very good. And John Asiata, I don't, I, I, he, we'd be lucky if he started half the games. Look, mate, I don't know. Like, what's he bringing to your team? I know you guys weren't a first-grade quality team, but that back line looks pretty good next year. All you need is middle forwards that aren't going to drop the ball and make metres next year. If they can if they can breathe and chew at the same time, you got it made in the forwards next year. He shows flashes, but the thing is, he's never, ever really put it together properly. So I don't understand why we're going to be any different to when he went from the Roosters to Brisbane to the Cowboys. Unless they get a lot of fitness into him because the game's quicker. The game's left him behind a little bit because he bulked up quite a bit to play in the forwards. He did, and he was very Unless heavy. Unless there's something there around that. That, that. that I could understand. He's never really been trim and And then you want to get him to play Tyrone Peachy style, just a little Possibly, bit Possibly, yes. I, 
He's got the potential, but I just wonder, are you going to unlock it? If you want to play like that, why wouldn't you just go get Tyrone Peachy for 300 grand? I don't know. I can't answer. Honestly, I can't answer that question. I really don't know. I... And then he could genuinely back up as a half. I don't look. I don't, I don't get I, the John Asiata. I don't get. I really don't. It makes no sense to me, and I also don't understand that signing. And he's never really performed at a consistent level, if you really think about it, over any period of time. So I don't. I would have just kept Adam Elliott and trained him and got him trimmer and slimmer. But there must be other stuff, and maybe they're trying to release funds on the cap because Adam Elliott and Luke Thompson are on decent money. So maybe they think they're not worth it, and they're trying to. Offload well, I, I, that wouldn't surprise me. That yeah. wouldn't surprise me. But especially because they've got no cap room by all accounts. Phil yes. confirmed that on Twitter um, for next year and the year after. So yep. they do need some flexibility, particularly if they want to bring a half back in. There's, you know, there's probably other stuff behind that that move. But well, I hope you're right because on its own, it's quite strange. I look at players like Dejan Arcee, right, who shows potential, but he's still only 21 or 20 years old. He's on the fringe of the Cowboys team. Why not just go pinch him as a 5'8"? Or something? like, you know, like some of the moves don't ordinarily make sense well so i agree with that but i don't think trent parrott can think medium term because i think if they're zero and six zero and seven he's going to be under a lot of pressure he will be under a lot of pressure next year he will be okay should we move on to some nrl stories yes then do the off-field incidents and then we'll come back to my my emperor story yep okay all right so the nrl's announced the review of the match review committee and bunker in the off season yes wayne pierce also announced he wants to seek another 10-year term through a Puff Piece article in the press. Wow, go Wayne. Then an article appeared the next day in a rival newspaper saying, uh, no chance. Oh <laughs> Basically, God. the clubs don't want him. Well, uh, uh, He's been thrown under the bus. All the sh- crappy ideas. Hey, hello, hello, Misty, the true star of the G&T show, she Misty is, the Cat, yes. have been blamed to Wayne Pierce. Of course. So it was only Wayne Pierce coming up with all these ideas. He's never struck me as a dictator, Wayne Pierce. Put it this way. No, he was never that type of player, was he? <laughs> no, or person. Parking Wayne Pierce aside for a second, <laughs> oh, the NRL great. announced the review of the match review committee in Bunker. They clearly don't want Wayne Pierce involved in that. Has anybody even heard from Wayne Pierce, like on TV, <laughs> and him ramming his opinions down their throat? Yet apparently, some dictator that's <laughs> made all the decisions by himself. I, mean, I love on. it how the NRL leaks stories to the press, oh, and God. and it's written in such a way that you'd have to be blind to see that the NRL hasn't leaked it. <laughs> it's like, what? Okay, oh, anyway, sorry. What about the review of the match review committee in the bunker? I mean, don't you just do that at the end of every year anyway to see where you've kind of gone wrong and where you can improve? No, no, I don't think you can chop and change the rules. I think they're looking at a pretty drastic change for the match review committee in the bunker. I've got to admit, I don't mind the point system for the penalties. I think people know where they stand. I think some of the, uh, the gradings they're charged with is problematic. I think the gradings are very, very tough sometimes, like to the point like where... the grade one versus grade two sometimes is a... Is a but the point system themselves, I, I actually don't mind. Yep. Um, I don't think, by all accounts, and we're not in the room so we can't tell, but there is a lot of criticism of the players that are on that match review oh, uh, wow. on the judiciary. Interesting. Because they're meant, they're meant to give the... The players' players point of view, yeah. Absolutely. So that's one of the things that looks like it's going to be under review. You know my views on this, less bunker the better. Not because of the decisions that they get wrong, and they do. And again, I'm going to get onto my rant about the Eels game. (laughs) And it's not not just because they're motherfuckers. I'm sending in my trainer to slow slow your review down. Fuck off. (laughs) I mean, do you want to do it now? Do you want to do it now? No. I mean, fuck me. My personal, G's personal trainer's coming in to stop the pod. 
May as well. You were, you're as close <laughs> to the Queen's, to Suncorp Stadium as the trainer was when he called oh, it off. Okay. I mean, jeez. Anyway, we'll get to it in the... I mean, and how does Ashley Klein... Anyway, we'll cover it in the... Anyway, we'll, we'll cover it in the Panthers-Eagles games, okay? I, I actually think the bunker should be reviewed. I think bunker should interfere, intervene when there's a clear and obvious error. That's it. Nothing else. Nothing else should be reviewed. I think the I think everything a decision should be made on field, and the bunker's got the benefit of the replay, and they call it if they see it. If it's clear and obvious, like VAR, if it's clear and yeah. obvious, call it. Otherwise, let it flow. Because what's happening is we're getting to this point where everything's getting double, triple checked. Where and it's taking too long, and everyone's getting taking their long. Breath back. It, and it's funny. Yeah, people are getting their breath back, but also, it's funny how the fans have gone from you know what, just give us some wrong decisions. Like if they're wrong. But it's done by the ref and a few other people. We're okay with that. But when it's reviewed multiple times to within its, you know, an inch of its life, and then you still get it wrong, I think people are kind of like, you know what, just go back to what it was yeah, like before. Yeah, but it's before. the press. The press did this right. In the old days, we used to bad decisions used to be part of the game. But of course, you could laugh it off because I remember one year the the late great Peter Jackson. Yep. Dropped the ball going to ground it for the Broncos. Remember this? I think it might have been against the Tigers. And I reckon Mick Stone was the ref. And, and he put his hands to his head because he dropped the ball over the And they the gave line. a try. And they gave the try. Remember that? Yes, because way back then there weren't many games on TV. So some of the incidents yeah, stick so in your memory. Could you imagine if that happened now? But some of that stuff does happen. More t- That was quite... He, it was a basketball. Oh, I know. Peter I know. One. Yeah. <laughs> it was a dribble. So, yeah, so... A dribble try. It, gone from... That, and because of this bunker and everything else, we're now expecting perfection from the referees. I don't think they'll get perfection, but we are expecting competence. And I think the competence levels of the referees themselves has dropped because they've got a crutch in the bunker. I think, well, I think so, right? Because you're scared. When you're, when you're responsible for the decisions more, you're sharper. Yeah. You've got a crutch, don't yeah. you? You do. You've got a crutch with the bunker, right? So you're thinking yep. is if I get it wrong, the bunker will intervene. Yep. I know exactly. And the problem is the bunker's got all these rules around it. When it can intervene, it can't. It's got to be a forward pass. If it's four plays on, you can't do it. There's all that sort of stuff. Th- that right? stuff's too complex. That the bunker can't intervene. Yeah, so it's not a crutch. It's but it's being used that way. And I think as a result, the actual competence of the refs has dropped. Oh, it's a good point. Because if, if Ash Klein is our number one referee, we're in trouble. We are in a trouble as a game. I think they've got to be consistent, and if they've got a view of how the game is, don't tweak things all the time. Keep the game somewhat. You don't have to change everything constantly because once you tinker with one thing, it has flow-on effects to some other part of the game. You could get into tactical debates about some of this stuff because some of the changes change the tactics and the way you've got to drop players and it creates space and blah, blah, blah. But they don't always think of that, I think. They, they always think of it very black and white and very simply. Um, the seven-tackle try, if someone kicks it dead, I have an issue with. Like, say, Mitch Moses, he kicks 70, 80 metres. If he can kick it dead, good on him. Why should the other team get an extra tackle? in the old days. Ricky Stewart... Would get the ball on the 40 meter line. His team was under the pump for five minutes, call it, and he would deliberately kick it dead up the other end of the field because it allowed for the line to be reset on the 20 meter line and the defensive line could, and it I, gave I them territory. It takes a tactic away. And, and actually, what it does is it now means if you look at it, teams will rather go one out on the last tackle and get ta- held up short than actually put in an attacking kick. Correct, right? Because there's a penalty there. That's the flow-on effects. And then the also is, if you're so worried about them kicking dead, how do you defend that? You've got to drop your wingers back and try and cover it. So then that creates a bit of space on the fringe. So if someone can kick a dead mate from 60 metres out, 
good luck to them. I think it's a great kick, like, in a way, you know? So that's an example of how the, they tinker with the rules, but then it impacts so many things. It's too so, much. I, I it's actually too much. Would, I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure the six agains worked. I mean, that, that's what I think they should review. I think what they've taken out of the game is attrition, and they could have achieved speeding up the game by dropping the interchange from eight to six. And that would have had exactly the same effect and you would have kept attrition in the game. The rules are being made either on the fly or with coaches in the room and neither is the right way to do it. You can have them give their analysis or feedback because they have a vested interest in how the rules are, whatever suits their way of coaching or whatever it may be. I like tries being scored because of fatigue. It, the game wasn't quicker in the old days. There was more fatigue in the game. So you've got you've to be careful what problem you're trying to solve. I yeah? would say, okay. it was it was like football. Once you made a substitution, they couldn't come back on. So teams were tired. There was more desperation at the end of the game. We had a game that was really good a few years ago, lots of close footy, and all you needed to do was just introduce a little bit more fatigue into the game. I think I agree with that because what's happened now is the players are so much faster, fitter, stronger, you know, than they were 20 years ago. The unlimited interchange now has a gigantic impact in that they never, ever get tired. Whereas before, 20 years ago, you know, players would still get somewhat fatigued because the body shapes were different, the training wasn't as intense, etc. But now, you just need, like you say, just to bring in the fatigue. And these guys will get tired. And then as a result, they have to train differently. And then the body shapes start to change a bit. It has flow-on effects. So, and then that creates a little bit more space. But when you've got six agains at the moment, the way it's working, the football this year has been generally ordinary. Having said that, there are some teams that need to kick, get their ass into gear and train better and be run better. I think that's without a doubt. But you can't have comps like this every year where there's like four teams and then it may as well be a five-team comp. It's pointless. Yeah, I mean, there has been a have and have not this year. So, all right, let's move on to another piece of NRL news. The NRL made a $7 million relief payment to NRL clubs during the week. That's in total, not for each club. Yep. Um, There is a looming argument. Uh, I think, uh, what was the name of the commissioner pre-Peter Volandis? Uh, Peter Peter Beattie, before Peter Beattie? Oh, God. Um, Grant. Grant, John Grant. John Grant. John Grant. John Grant did a deal with the club. Um, remember when they had that crisis? Yes. And they were going to kick him out yes. to save his job. Yes. So he promised the yeah. So he promised them a twenty-four million dollar payout at the end of this contract period with the TV rights. Yep. The NRL since because of COVID and everything thinks that that agreement has now been made null and void by new agreements over funding. But the clubs are leaking to the press oh, God. Um, that they are still expecting the twenty-four million dollar payment. Apparently, this seven million dollar payment relief payment has been linked to that payment no longer being made at the end of next season so not all clubs can not all clubs have signed up to it if they could find a seven million dollar relief payment why couldn't they find a million and a half to give to the nrl women's i have nothing more to add on the nrl women's because i was entirely any hope i ever had of the nrl thinking about the game in that sense has been distinguished can you can you admit to our listeners that you were wrong and that you were insensitive towards the women's game i absolutely was not Wrong. I just had hope that they take the women's game. What part of they didn't ask the Queensland government were you not <laughs> yeah. wrong about? Maybe I was just hoping they'd take the women's game a bit more seriously and right, really support it. So maybe I was wrong in that respect. I totally was. That's as close to an apology as you're going to get from the uh, G side of this pod, NRL women's players. So what do you think about the funding for the clubs, G? The women's point, I think, is a fantastic point. We talked about how they were offered $3,000 a player, yet... A lot of them are part-time and working and trying to play rugby league on the side or the young kids trying to, you know, 
play at an elite level of, of footy, they could have definitely used that money to at least, you know, give them 15 or 20 grand so they're able to sort of maybe work part-time and play, like in a part-time capacity and train properly and dedicate their time to it. So a bit sad, actually, to not use any of that money on the NRL women's game, especially considering what's happened. Yeah, well, that's right. That's right. I mean, that's a, it's an obvious growth avenue that they've got to turn their mind to. All right, let's turn... Let's, we're running out of time, so let's let's cover off some of the off-field incidents. Um, Jacob Siafidi was in court to fight charges by Dane Cordner, which is um, alleged cha- allegedly. Yep. Well, he's in court, but the charges are alleged um, by Dane Cordner. Um, Dane Cordner is Boyd Cordner's brother. It was it was in a Newcastle nightclub. Um, this is um, Dane Cordner's now taking civil proceedings against Jacob Siafidi, who was the Knights Player of the Year this year. Yes. And after Jacob Saifidi had actually taken Dane Cordner. Now, they got into a scuffle. Uh, my understanding is Jacob Saifidi broke his ankle. He fell over and broke his ankle. Fell over, allegedly. Fell yep. over. Yep. Yep. So they got into a scuffle. And now Dane Cordner's returning served with a court case of his own. Now, Boyd Cordner's from Newcastle Way, so that's why yes. the family's still up there. I mean, this would make it quite... I'm guessing there's not a lot of love lost between the Cordner family and the Saifidi oh, I don't think so. It just sounds like a mess, to be honest. They're coming back counter-swing, but Jacob Saifidi is probably, you know, maybe there's contracts at stake. So it's, there's a there's a bit of money involved, but it's, it sound, just sounds like a mess. It sounds like a scuffle that's gotten out of hand for whatever reason, and they both hurt each other, and now they're both trying to sue each other because they both injured each other. Allegedly. Allegedly. Maybe. but We don't you know, know what happened. We don't know what happened, to be honest, to be fair. It just sounds like a mess, to be honest. Let's move on to brighter news. There was a two-page spread in the Australian over yes. over the weekend. Great article about GWS. It wasn't Rupert Murdoch on page three, was it? I think I just threw up in my mouth. You are a sick man, <laughs> G. You've got massive problems. Yes, go. Um, which long-time listeners will already know. Okay, yep, go. That is a weird comment to make, Rupert Murdoch on page three. And I would like you to leave this in the pod so people get an idea of what I have <laughs> to deal with on a week-to-week basis. Great. It was actually a really good read around um, the GWS and the attack into AFL Heartland and how Penrith and Para were really on their knees at the time and the AFL saw an opportunity. Now that gap's closed because Penrith and Para are good and they've really cultivated the junior base and the opportunity slowed down and how the AFL has pumped $200 million into Western Sydney and they're not going to know whether it's a success for another 10 to 20 years. $200 million already. Incredible. Yeah, because yeah, how long has it been around? Has it been around 10 years? Yeah, it's, it's about, about $20 million years. a year. Yeah. yeah. So... GWS is losing about $20 million a year and the AFL is covering it through its grants. So yep. it's about $200 million. And they interviewed Peter Volandis about it. Oh, no. And what interested okay. me most okay. about this article yes. was Peter Volandis said, the fight's not over. The fight's, the emperor decreed the fight's not over. And it really hit home to him that the fight wasn't over when he took a helicopter flight over the Hunter Valley and saw how many AFL goalposts there were as opposed to footy goalposts. And this really reignited his passion to continue the fight against the AFL. That's fantastic, Peter. How about you just drive around Sydney and see the same thing? Now, didn't we attack <laughs> Far out. an AFL, a rugby league commissioner for using hire cars as opposed to taxis? And here we have the chairman of the rugby league going, I want to see what the AFL's doing. Take me to the Batcopter. <laughs> And he's circling the the hunter and the hunter valley with binoculars on, going <laughs> like like where's Wally? Going, there's, I just got this mental picture of what he's doing, 
And Andrew Abdo in the seat next to him taking notes, going, there's another one, there's another AFL post. Take the coordinates down. I'll make those Melbourneites pay. Is he going to put that on his Instagram? Like, you know, when people go in the helicopter rides or they're used to the scenic copter rides, they take all the, the videos and the pictures. Can I, can, I just, can I just raise another point for you? If someone says to you, we're worried about the AFL attack in New South Wales heartland, yeah. is your first instinct, take me up in the helicopter, I want to see the posts? <laughs> I was going to say, did he use it as an excuse to go land in the Hunter Valley at a, at a winery that happens to have an AFL Aussie Rules post somewhere? Abdo, get me a copter. <laughs> Quick to the back copter. It's Batman and Robin in ancient Roman times. I... <laughs> doesn't he, In a copter with the window open, binoculars on, looking for AFL posts, doesn't the wind get up his toga? <laughs> that would be before he gets on. Oh, been, right, right, He'd been right. like holding, you know, the Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe pose, so his toga would be like flying that. up It'd the sides. Like yeah. yeah. Just after reading <laughs> Rupert Murdoch on page three. It's, I mean, you know, <laughs> what on earth? What? You know, when you say to me, when we, we talk about all sorts of sports, when you say to me player development for football, as in soccer, is slowed in regional areas in yes, New South Wales. it's a... And you say to me, I think it's because they're playing league or AFL. You know, my first instinct isn't let's hire a helicopter, fly over the region and count the number of soccer soccer goals. I don't even know what to say. It's actually a great story and ridiculous at the same time. Like, honestly, all he has to do is walk around, drive around Sydney and you'll see it. You don't need to, where there used to be rugby league posts everywhere, there's a lot of grounds now that just have Aussie It's good that he posts. saved $50 million and still taking helicopter flights too. It's, <laughs> I don't, I think it's great. Just, and I was like, I well, just, so what if he saw two or three? Like, what, what does that mean? What like, How many is too is, many? I don't know. Mate, I drive, I, I, but every time I drive through the Hunter... And Newcastle, it's a rugby league heartland. I mean, are you, is he sure the pilot took him over the Hunter? I don't know. Oh, look, I live in an area where there's been an Aussie Rules Club for honestly seventy years in Sydney, almost. So that's actually quite interesting and probably unique. And I didn't do this during the lockdown, but you know, if you go past Ramsgate, for example, that used to be rugby league heartland too, right? The St George area, and there's Aussie Rules grounds there, multiples. So I mean, you don't have to go to the Hunter. Or even Sydney Park. Sydney Park, where they've got, you know, there's quite a few of them around now. All right, well, that brings us to the close of the news for this week. Uh, I thought we'd bring back Peter Volandi's Never Ceases, the Emperor Never Ceases to Deliver. It just has no logic. I flew over the hunter in a helicopter and realised how many I mean, it, it, are... Whoever wins the grand final this year, I think Peter Volandi's is going to hold the trophy aloft before the captain does. Oh, I'd love to see that. I want him to do the presentation in a toga so bad. I'd love I'd love for him to do that and actually do the Frank Lowy and as he's holding it off, because it's actually quite a heavy trophy. It's like 35 kilos and just fall off the stage. All right, let's move on to the two games that were on during the week. Yes. Um, I have very little analysis on one of these games and the other game I'm just going to rant. Yes. So, so we are expecting you this week to deliver impassioned analysis of these games. First up was Manly versus the Roosters. Manly got up 42 to 6. This game was never in doubt. And and can I just say, despite what everyone says, this was a woeful game of rugby league. What do you Absolutely mean? Who said woeful. it was not? It was a terrible game. It was just a terrible game. The Roosters, God love them, are shot. Just two, it's just one game too far. Yeah. We said before this game, we said if Tommy Turbo shows up, it could be a shellacking. It was a shellacking. 
and it was a shellacking. Tommy Turbo showed up and blew the Roosters away. It was 18-0 after 18 minutes and 24-6 at halftime, and the game was basically over. Tommy Turbo, in the process of this game, tied Phil Blake's 1983 season record. Can you believe that? He's done it in 17 games. Yeah, I know. It's incredible. And Jason Saab is on 26 games. So 26 tries, yeah. 26 tries. So yep. if you... This goes to what we spoke about a few oh, weeks ago. All the records are falling. This season in the context a, yes. of... Yeah, it doesn't make sense. This season's almost got to have an asterisk next to it. So congratulations to him. He's a chance of going ahead. Both Saab and Turbo, depending on what happens this weekend against South, have a chance to go ahead. Yep. Of Phil Blake, which this is a record I never thought would actually get beaten. 27 tries is a lot. Right? It is a lot. So, particularly in 17 and games. And Phil but Blake was bloody game, amazing, by the way. Amazing player, amazing player. Um, And he was basically, not invented it, but he mastered the art of the chip and chase too. I would say so. I know, I know. Steve, um, they used to, Steve Mortimer was, if you remember, was the first sort of guy that used to do it. And then Phil Blake took it to a different level, along with um, Scott Gale. Scott Gale Scott and Gale Phil Blake were well. magical at it. Unbelievable. So Tommy Turbo uh, finished with two tries, three line breaks, 10 tackle busts, and 196 metres in 65 minutes. That's how dominant he was. He's very hard to stop. Josh Morris retires now after 325 games. Yeah. And and Ryan Girdler copped a lot of grief in the News Limited Press. He came out the day after on Triple M and labelled Manly flat-track bullies because they've lost to the Panthers and the Storm four times this year, and they've only beaten depleted teams or teams out of form so they haven't really run up against teams in top form and when they have they've they've lost so it's an interesting point of view i i think i think he's right in this in in so far as this i think with if you can keep tommy turbo quiet i'm the rest of the manly team is not good enough to beat any of the remaining three teams. If Tommy Turbo fires, then they're right up there with them. They are. But the difference, it, it, it's, it really does hinge on Turbo. It does. Because if he's off or he can be kept quiet like Melbourne do, then the rest of the team's not good enough. Not really, because if you go man man for man against some of these other teams, their players, some of them can match up, but in general, the other teams have the better teams and have more firepower and are a little bit more skilled. So I, I don't 100% agree with his comment. I do agree with it, like you say, in a sense that when they're on against some of these other teams that aren't quite at that level, they can blow them away because of their speed and skill when Turbo's on. But one game against Penrith, they got flogged, that was earlier in the year where they didn't care. And then the second game, which was at Bathurst, they actually troubled Penrith a little bit because of their speed a, a bit. So they lost, but they were in right in that game. I think they struggled, they've struggled more against Melbourne in that both times they've scored and hung in a little bit, but really Melbourne's been way too good. Manly really struggled to score against Melbourne in both games. There was no sense of Manly could put on pile on points against Melbourne at all. I think Manly, like we say, we've said, they're, they're, they're thrashing the teams that are nowhere near them when Turbo's on. And against the good teams, their limitations, like you say, show a bit more. It's fair enough. Um, now, for mine, Trent Robinson's Coach of the Year. Interesting. What he's done with a depleted team. Um, I know we're not going to cover off Coach of the Year in when we go through our Team of the Year. We should. Why not? Why not? We'll, well talk for me, about it's it. Trent Robinson. Yep, I, okay. I think, and the reason I say that is because he has had the most disruption of any team. And from an injury perspective, more than the Raiders, more than anyone else, they had two-thirds of their salary cap out. Jake Friend Boyd Cordner retired, and they were able to dig deep and still get to fifth position. Now, I didn't think about Coach of the Year as well for my team of the year, but 
if I really think about it, I don't think it can be anybody but Trent Robertson because of the situation. The fact that the Roosters, with all those changes, they've got fringe first graders from other teams basically playing key positions for them, and they're still beating teams and, like you say, ended up fifth and equal points. Mate, it was Adam Kieran and Ikevalu in the back line. At- yeah, but playing key roles. Kieran was playing a key role for a long time. You've got Marshke, who he's come on and done a job in five or six games. He's had even some of the players that have stayed have been in and out of the team anyway. Like Verrills has been in and out. He lost Brett Morris. Drew Hutchison, um, he, he's played with an 18-year-old halfback, Sam Walker. And Lachlan Sam Lamb. Sam Walker did uh, towards the end of the yes. season he faded. But T, he played with an 18-year-old kid, a rookie. And Lachlan Lamb is essentially a rookie too, really, experience-wise. Like, they've been sensational. Yeah, they have been. The job he's done, or the that the Roosters have done, I know they're out, but they've done an amazing job. They have indeed. What did you think of this game? I mean, I just there was not. I didn't. There was. I'm not going to go through tries and edges and stuff. It was just one game too far for the Roosters. It was just one game too far. It's funny because when I watched the game, I was thinking the Roosters were just cooked. They'd used all their energy to get to that point, and in that game, they just made they fell off tackles that they ordinarily wouldn't, and they just got blown away. I think also a level too far for the remaining talent in that team and with all the injuries. The start that Mandy had was incredibly fast, driven by Tommy Tommy Turbo. You know, the speed and the power to score first and then to actually hang in and get an offload through to four and for a try. 12-0, DCE goes I over. I mean, they're combining great, right? They're combining great. Jake, Jake, it was Jake's best game in a long, long time. I thought Jake was excellent. He was excellent. And they combined with Tommy and Kieran Foran down that side. Yep. And Tommy Turbo, he's got this thing where he hangs around right near the ruck, so it's a really short pass yes. from, from the dummy half and yep. that gets him momentum going forward. He, he's added that to his game a lot. He's almost used as a, an extra forward at times but he's skillful enough to get through the gaps and it's fast enough to create danger when he runs and mate once DCE went over 18-0 game done like you could just see the Roosters went there I mean they hit back with a try but then all they did was get Saab on the outside of, of Tupu and he, he burned him and then passed to Harper and it's 24-6 and I thought you know even after the half time they came out and again torched him Mate, it was 36-6 after 50 minutes. And to be That's honest, right. the, the right. last half an hour were basically... Just trying to get to the end of the game without ba- yeah, getting hurt. Basically, that was it. I felt like it, it just everything went out of it. it they were just waiting to, to, for the end of the game, both teams. The highlight for me was a bit of turbo magic, but I love seeing Saab in the clear. His speed oh, is phenomenal. winking to Marty Tapao. Oh, mate. Yeah, that was the wink. Watching Isaac... Was it Isaac Liu, I think, trying to chase him? What an effort, though. That's why the Roosters are good. What an effort from Isaac Liu. The game's gone. The game's gone. He chased him all the way to the try. One of my favourite players, Isaac Liu, but his speed is just far out, man. It's something else. Like, he's fantastic to watch when he's in full flight. Well, as we said during the week, I think Josh Adokar's lost the yard of pace. I think Jason Saab might be the quickest in the comp. Jason Saab is the quickest guy in the comp. Who's the quickest guy on this pod? Oh, it depends what we're talking about. Okay, next question. Well, I think if we're talking about what I think you're talking about, it's you. <laughs> well, it is. My brain is as sharp <laughs> as anything. <laughs> so, I usually I will ask you this time. Roosters, next okay. year. Oh, good question. Good question. Top three for me. Okay, and I'm going to ask you, why do you think that? Yeah, that's a good question. So, part of it's having a lot of um, players out. But part of it's also, when you chop and change a team, it's really hard to get uh, combinations. Yes. If you remember, if you remember, do you remember the Roosters earlier this season? They were playing a really attacking brand of football. Because, they were. Because of the 
the rule changes and they had to kind of scrap all of that and it became the James Tedesco show because of so many injuries. Right? <laughs> that is right, yes. Yeah, so so I think next year they'll have, I think Connor Watson's going to slot in and solve a lot of problems for them, either in the halves or in the back row. Lachlan Lamb and Sam Walker will be a year older. Most importantly, Luke Keary will be back. Yes, massive difference. Yeah, so I don't think they'll be as good as Melbourne and Panthers. I don't either, no. Yeah, I don't think they'll be as good as that because I think you don't just replace Boyd Cordner. Uh, and I, I actually think Sam Berrells will do just as good a job as Jake Friend did, so yep. I'm not worried about Hooker so much. And he actually gives a little bit more because he's quicker through the middle, Sam Verrills. Yep. So I think I think he'll be okay. But um, I think um, so. I th- but I think Boyd Cordner and that leadership is going to be hard to replace. I also think, having gone through the stats for my team of the season, I actually think Brett and Josh Morris are going to be really hard to replace too. So I think they'll finish around about where they are now again. And it could be very tight with between a three, third to fifth. I do think Penrith and Manly, uh, Melbourne will again be the elite two teams. Oh, I think Manly will go backwards next year. I think Manly's very susceptible to the comp tightening up. If it remains the way it is, they've got the speed and the I just don't think power. Tommy Turbo can have another season like this one. And then if he doesn't, then where are they? They were 0-4 before the season started, yeah. Manly. They were. They were, absolutely. They were really struggling and getting flogged in every game. So I think the Roosters really need to get some backs but they're going to have Joseph Suwali back again, a little bit older. Jo- Joseph Suwali will be back, but they they finished fifth, okay? They finished fifth. They finished ahead of Para. Yep. Yeah. The two teams immediately in front of them are Souths. And Manly. Yeah. Souths is losing Adam Reynolds. Yep. Yeah, so I don't think they'll be as good next year because of, of that reason. Yes, correct. So I think they'll come back a little bit. Yep. And I don't think Tommy Turbo can have another good season. Uh, uh, he'll have another good season, but not like the season here. I mean, this is a... You know, a once in a generation type season. Yeah. So, and then they're not as good when he doesn't play as well. So they're back to the field. It kind of, I think Para will be better next year as well. Yep. I, I think they've got enough experience and enough of a system there. If they can stay injury free, I think they'll be the third best team. Okay. Here. I think that's a great summation. When you look at it that way, you know, Souths and Manly are, can slide back. I, I think the Roosters will finish where sim, in a similar position. Equal fourth or maybe third. I just see Kiri coming back is going to be huge. Like you say, sure, Sam but it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be better, right? They'll be better next. They will be so better next year. Be, yeah, I think they'll be. And and, and you got to remember, Melbourne and Panthers have got a relatively good run with injuries too. They have. So if they get if they get injuries towards the back end of the system, the Roosters haven't had injuries and their systems in place, and those players have played twenty games together. You got to remember, Joey Manu also had a breakout season. There's a lot there for Trent Robinson to work with next year, and. Taki Iho, Isaac Liu. They're all back. They're all back. Um, you get more out of Jared Warrior. Some games this year, Jared Warrior Hargrave's got 80 minutes out. Like, I just I just think, given what's happened to the Roosters this year, they've just shown... The bottoming out for them is fifth. Like, the, the only way is up for that yes, team next year. I agree. If Sam Walker puts on 10 kilos in the off-season, like, that, that's a game-changer. Luke Kiris and a 10-kilogram heavier Sam Walker. Worse next year, they're fifth. Because with Suwali, Tupu will... He's still a really good winger. They do need another winger. They do need another winger, I think, to finish off some of their plays. Like you said, oh, I don't Josh think Morris. I don't no, think Josh Morris and Brett Morris will be hard to replace from that perspective as finishers. Oh, you know what? Ironically, I don't I don't think they're going to miss them as finishers, frankly. I think they'll miss them defensively. I think they're very good defensively. They are very good defensively. But to be honest, like you look at their pack, and now they've actually got greater depth because a lot of these players have played in so many games and had to really stand up. That's right. And one, That's right. so now you've got Kieran that is on the bench. 
that you can play in any position. You're going to have Connor Watson. You're going to have Nat Butcher and all these other guys that have actually played a lot of games. And this Egan year. Butcher. And Egan Butcher. Yeah, at worst, I think Roosters will be fifth. But they also have the potential to go a lot better than they did this year as well. So, honestly, it makes you think about it. Like, what a, a great season. A fantastic season for the Roosters. And Victor Radley missed half the, more than half the season. They'll be right up there again next year. And Billy Smith, the five minutes he's played in the last four years, he's looked really good. Yeah. And he must he must be pretty bloody special, you know, for them to... Keep him after those many injuries. Yeah. You know what? So... I reckon there's enough there. They've got a squad T of 20 probably now after this year, a squad of probably 22 players or more. 25 players that can all easily play first grade and do a good job. That's a lot of depth. A lot of depth, right? And they're going to have a whole off-season together. So I just think the future's bright there. And, and the Roosters have recruited some great juniors from other clubs. The, what the Roosters will do is probably pick... They're gonna they're gonna find one or two players that are floating around on the fringe and probably bring yeah, them into I the team that. that they need. I, I think that. they're waiting. Um, and I'm expecting, as a dogs fan, I'm expecting Renault Fatoni to be fantastic for them next year. I agree with that too. He's got all the tools. He has not been at the right club, and I think the Roosters will get the best out of him. If, if they had salary cap room, they should have gone for Nick Meany because because you, you can because you, you can stick him on a wing. If t- Jimmy T's out, you can play him at fullback. Correct. Although you've got Joey Manu there, so... But, you know what? They'll pick up somebody. All right. Shall we move on to yes. the next game? Yes, so we should. Panthers versus the Eels. Yes. The Panthers won this game 8-6. It was a game of the year contender, let's be honest. It was a very fast game with very little stoppages, except when the paramedic, <laughs> when the Penrith trainer miraculously stops the game every time Parramatta was on the attack. So, which I'm sure is well within the spirit of the rules, given how clean Ivan Cleary coaches. The trainers do this all the time. Like, at what point Well, he's on it... a warning. That's his second warning yeah, this season. Yeah, but dude, the NRL... Like, we were at the grand final when the the trainer basically stopped the Raiders from scoring a try. Oh, yeah, with the when it hit the... I mean, they got to get him off the This happened in I mean, the ridiculous. grand final. You know, the underdog had a great chance to win that game, and the, it, the trainer got interfered with it. When he shouldn't have been on the field in the first place. So, at what point does the NRL get serious about this? Do you, are we, is this a hopes and dreams moment? Yeah, I dreams? think it is. Yeah, it is. Bloody NRL. And the other time the game stopped was the 7-2 penalty count that Ash Klein gave <laughs> the Panthers. Yeah. Now, Ashley Klein was the referee when um, Latrell's hit on Joey Manu. Yes. And Henry Perinara missed it in the bunker and Ashley Klein kept such a good lid on that game and managed it well. If How... Does Matt Checken not get a game in the semis and Ash Klein gets this game? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think Matt Checken... He killed us. Every 50-50 decision went against us. There were times when, when we made the break down the right side in the second half of the second half of the game. Yes. If you look back in back play, Jerome Luai yeah. takes out Mitch Moses as he's sprinting to be a backup. Literally pulls him to the ground. Yep. Okay? Bunkard misses it. Ref misses it. This is a tight game. Two tries scored. The only kick tries came from kicks. And the game was also decided by what I think was a marginal high tackle call on Will Smith with two minutes to go in the first half. Agree, but can't really complain about that because they have been consistent with those kind of half dodgy... Gee, but I'm not head. sure he hit his head. Yeah, but mate... Throughout the year, it was on the shoulders. Yeah, I know, but honestly, T, throughout the year for every team, they've had dodgy calls like that all year, right? I don't agree with it. Notwithstanding that, Will Smith is is prone to brain explosions. 
Mitch Moses, though, being held back clearly, that's also something they've penalised all year. And Gee, that's not just a penalty. It's a sin binning. And they're down to 12. And we're on the attack. And then he missed the strip on Gutho at the end. Like, he was woeful. Woeful. Having said that, having said that, the Panthers had a lot of chances. And our cover defence, our our defence, last grasp defence. I mean, it might have been the best defensive effort since the Roosters in their heyday. That kept you in the game. It was fantastic. Our defence was fantastic. There was a lot of criticism about, I think Phil Gould was saying, it was Phil Gould saying, what am I missing? Nathan Brown, he's only played 26 minutes. Phil, yes, there is something you're missing. If you watched the first 26 minutes, Nathan Brown dropped the ball two times and missed about three tackles that led to breaks from the Panthers. He was terrible in the 26 minutes he played. So that's what, he actually got hooked. There's nothing wrong with him. He was just terrible. And Ray Stone, if we had Reed Marnie in that game and oh, giving us... I think you have a we better win the game. option to win the game. Yes. We win the game because Ray Stone made was terrible. He, served, he dropped, made three errors at dummy half, dropped the ball three times from dummy half, and Reed Marnie straightens our attack. The problem with our attack was we were going side to side and Reed Marnie... And that was a problem with our attack. And, and despite Mitchell Moses' kicking game being great, Mitchell Moses and Dylan Brown needed to straighten that attack up. Before they went wide, and yeah, they just kept they going side to side. And Reed Marnie would have done that. He does that for us. With Reed Marnie in that team, we potentially win that game. I am still disappointed. Mrs. T is a Penrith supporter, and You've I couldn't banished. speak to her till Sunday. Yes. I wasn't banished. I banished myself. I just couldn't. I'm so disappointed. I feel like it's been 35 years. This, gee, our defence was good enough this year. We were coming into some form, and we and I feel like I feel like the referee cost us. And I think Brad Arthur feels the same. He came out after the game and he said Ivan Cleary got what he wanted because of all his whinging and bitching and moaning that he did during the week about the referees with Wayne Bennett. It finally paid off for him. I, I just, I, I'm blown away. I agree and disagree with you about that. Oh, which bits do you disagree about? And can I just speak for all Parramatta supporters when I say, fuck you, man. <laughs> Um, I think I'm more a para fan than I am a Bulldog fan at the moment. No, you're a Manly fan. Oh, sorry, and a Manly fan. And a Melbourne fan. You forgot about that part. Well, I hope, I hope Melbourne put 80 points on the Panthers this week. Oh, so do I. I'll be wearing purple. I've got a pur- purple outfit. I'll be wearing purple if Melbourne gets to the grand final. They're um, a great team, Penrith. But, jeez, they're unlikable. They're not exactly likable. I think they've actually... Look... I like Brian Ta'o, but the rest of them are really unlikable. They're, we said it early in the year. They're kind of like... They've got this arrogance and brashness about them, right? They do. That arrogance of youth, you know, and winning every week, just about. So I agree with you in terms of the way you've summed up the game. I thought Para's defence was sensational. And I did speak to you and say, Para has got the defence to win this thing. Oh, you were, you were, no, that's not what you said. A minute in, oh, should I find the text messages? Here, here. Do you, oh, want me to, do you want me to read you the text messages? Oh, no, I'm willing to do this, G. I think, I think it'll be a good, um, all right, let's have a look. Oh, my let's God, Let's start go. with... This let's is ridiculous. Start. Let's start. Let's start with your first text, yeah? Oh, hang on. There's like 100 texts between us that this game. Just yeah, you were getting angry because... Listen. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here yes. we go. We're talking about Newcastle. You do realise I, t- you do realize I tipped Pen- Parramatta, don't you? I don't care who you tipped. You guys are going to win. Trust me. My response. I've seen your tipping. We are fucked. <laughs> okay. Because... Okay. No, because... You guys have them covered defensively yes. if you play smart. Correct. They struggled against your goal line defence. Yes. And was that wrong? It's been all Penrith so far. Our try was against Doesn't the run matter. of play. Doesn't matter. 
And then I go, Nathan Brown has been Penrith's best player. And you go, Nathan Brown can get too excited. And I said that and he's shit. I was a little bit emotional <laughs> okay, in this Okay, all right. Just slightly. Okay. He's your Adam Elliott without the toilet routing. Yes. <laughs> with okay. your response. Yes. As in he's energetic. <laughs> he looks like he's trying hard, but there's mistakes in him, right? Uh, yeah. But so Anyway. Can, can I just make one other point before you say all the wrong things? Yes, about this game? of course. Yes, Wonga Blake is a different player on the left edge. He is because there's not as much traffic going no. towards you. He's quite good, but you're getting him in space a little bit more, and you can see his confidence is back again when he's getting the ball in hand. Right, Para's defence. I picked them because their defence, I had a feeling, would hold Penrith out, and it kind of played out like that. Penrith scored eight points. With really good field position. Yes, they missed some chances, but that's the semis. That's a tight game, right? My thing is, Para can't beat a team like Penrith, who's got a, a superb defence as well, by just trying to shuffle the ball out on the fringe. Well, they nearly did. But, mate, they didn't, because they're complaining about the refs, because they they needed luck. So did, so did the Panthers. Yes and no. They look more likely to score than you did for most of the game. Oh, yeah, I agree with that bit. Right? I agree with the bit that our attack needed to be straightened up. So for me, I think there was opportunities that Para just... It was like they were playing a half... In a, with ball in hand, they did make inroads at times, but they weren't quite... Gee, I think what you're missing is the fatigue of that game. It was very fast. It was fast. It was enormous and... defensive effort. And then you're going... You're, 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 you know, like, it's hard. It's not easy. You know what they missed in that game? I'll tell you. They missed a Tedesco hunting off a Neocore run on the inside with four guys hanging off and just looking for that offload. There's going to be errors, but they... It was it was out of dummy half. My my feel is we needed... They're touching the ball first. So if we have Reed Marnie there, he, not only that, remember, he's a threat with his running from dummy half. He too. is. He is. He, so he straightens it up. Like, you think it's going wide, the team starts to slide, he straightens it up. So, But I just think Parra just missed that polishing attack to score that try that they needed to score. And... But that's, that's Brad Arthur. I mean, we... That's it. They're looking now. They're going, oh, they're blaming the refs and all this kind of stuff. And the calls weren't great. I do think you were on the the, the, the poor end of some of those calls, right? The, the trainer thing was honestly diabolical. I was watching that game and I didn't even realise the game. I was like, why are they stopping the game? Like, watching that game, I had no idea why they and, stopped And it. stopping the game for minutes on end, yeah. But right, whilst Parramatta was cha- trying to change the momentum of the game, it's gamesmanship. I mean, the refs got to be able to see that, right? But... There were, there were op- opportunities there where Cartwright made a couple of inroads in the defence and he was looking for someone to come running and they were setting up for the next play. That's the stuff against Penrith or Melbourne you can't afford to do because it, you need to take that half chance. A Tedesco would be sniffing around that ball, looking for that ball. You think we win with James Tedesco rather than Clint Gutherson? I love Gutherson, but I think in that game in particular, in that game, yes. No, Be- I don't. I do. I don't. I, I don't do. Believe, I don't believe that. Because I'll give you an example, right? Para sometimes had one or two passes, then someone would hit the ball on the fringe a couple of times, like Papali'i. He, he he's looking for somebody, looking to play off it, but everyone else was setting up for the next play because they're tired. Yeah, but mate, they're the games that you you need to find that extra bit of magic in. And and Teddy played and Teddy played that way this year. Because he was everywhere for the Roosters he was. this year. Because the halves were dominant. It was Lachlan Lamb and Sam Walker and Drew Hutchinson. I agree with you, right? But where was a Moses? Where was a Dylan Brown? Gee, don't get me wrong. I agree with you the attack's a problem. But I just think you play that game, despite what Phil Gould thinks, you play that same game exactly the way it was played and you get the refereeing decisions right, we win the game. 
I thought you were hanging on. We were. That's the, I'm not saying that, though. But every time we had momentum, the game was stopped and we had penalties go against us and we had all sorts of 50-50 decisions against us. And I just think you, get, you pick up all those things because this game was a game of inches. There's only a little bit that was going to get us over the line. I agree with you. And where I disagree is I don't think Parra looked like they were going to score at all. Well, it could have been two penalty goals that got us there, G. Well, that's a diff... But, but that's the thing. If you're relying on penalty goals and a, no, a head high... No, Pen- Penrith, Penrith relied, relied on that. It's it's finals footy. It's a game of inches. There's fine margins in this. This is why we need better referees. I think honestly, I think we're both right in this instance. I think okay, I'm willing. I can I can grant you that, but I I still stand by my original observation from all Panther Paris supporters. Okay, thank you. But honestly, this year their defence was good enough. They've showed it against Melbourne at Penrith. But what happened to the para from? two weeks ago where they had straightened the attack and Mitchell Moses running the ball. They can't pull it all together. They, they, they've done it once. So can I just say, I um I think Melbourne would rather play the Panthers than Para. I would. They've struggled. Psychologically, that matters, right? You've lost twice to them at full strength. That matters. And may I also say, may I also say, um, I'm going to be one of the few people here. I, I would sack Brad Arthur. I think he has taken this team as far as he can. I, I think it's the same thing with Adam O'Brien. If you notice, Brad Arthur and Adam O'Brien... And Craig Be- and Stephen Carney was the same. The Craig Bellamy disciples, correct? Are not great attacking. No, coaches. and that cost Para because they've got the talent. There was a few times, like towards the end of the game, I know there's structures, but mate, your X factor is Bryce Cartwright. There were a couple of times in that last minute, T, where snuck around to the blind side, and they had numbers. But th- and this might be because Reed Marnie's not there, right? So I take your point about Reed Marnie. But Para still went out to the edge where all the Panthers yeah, yeah, defenders yeah, but, were. But, but you're right. You're right with that. You're right. That's where Reed, they touched. This is Cam Smith always made the right decision. It wasn't because he was, and this is why the hooker is so important. Yeah. Because if you've got Mitchell Moses screaming, oh yeah, Ray Stone was not even looking at what was going on. It was just like it's going out to whoever it's going. Um, the Cooper Cronk said this. Um, Billy Slater apparently was calling plays out the whole game. And he goes, it was a bit like a point guard at basketball. Yep. That you needed to give the big fella a play every now and again, but you didn't give it to give him what he wanted every play. You're like, there was other things that were happening in the game that you were... Re- and that's why you need a strong dummy half. Yeah. You need the strength to be able to say no to Mitch Moses. We're going to go to Bryce Cartwright on the blind because yeah, like, that's where the opportunity he's is. He's an instinctive, instinctive player, and I would have loved to have seen him get his hands on the ball a little bit towards the end in the last 10 minutes. I don't think... He creates magic. You you got to you know you. He was another one though. He was guilty of going side to side. Bryce Cart, right? He 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 didn't go. He didn't straighten up the attack. None of them. Did. None of them did. For whatever reason. To me, it looked like tactical. It was the extent of Brad, Brad Arthur's attack is goes. If you make a breakdown one side quickly, swing it to the other. That's the extent of his attack and run a block play. It's easy to defend. Yeah, and I don't think Para quite were aggressive enough in attack to at least give themselves a better shot they gave themselves every chance and opportunity in that game but their attack wasn't bad but it, it wasn't good enough no, to beat the Penrith defence it was a great defense. game of footy it was a great Penrith, game of footy Penrith's defence is superb exactly Penrith's defence is great too so it wasn't going to take a lot you get the ref gets those decisions it, it doesn't have to get every decision right if we get our fair share of the decisions at the very worst it's an 8-all game at the very worst oh, I think so I think game. that would have been yeah. a fairer result like but I guess, you know what, T, I felt that game was also full of half breaks. It was cagey. I did think both teams were a little bit conservative. I'm not saying the Panthers that's, played a great right. game that's of right. footy. But that's what I'm saying to you. It was a game of inches, right? So you, you, Jerome Luai gets binned. They get, Paris got the ball on the 20-meter line. Penrith stand offside. 
he thinks it's deliberate. He gives the penalty instead of a six to go, and you kick the goal. Like there's things like that that happen when you get the right, to, and it's eight all. And maybe we don't break them. Maybe you're right. We we don't throw enough at them. Yeah. But what I'm saying to you is, the ref had a disproportionate effect on that game. Oh, in terms of probably opportunity, yes. The I outcome. Would say so. Yeah. You could see that Penrith, when they did their quick plays to the left or the floating balls, and Paris still had them covered. You know, the addition of Penasini out that side, and Blake, the way he was working with Blake Ferguson has transformed that side in defence. Don't forget, Penasini had just as much wraps on him as Suwali. He's just a year older. He's not 17. Remember, Suwali was underage, and he had all that wraps around. That was the big thing with Suwali. You know what I like about Penasini? He's explosive, and he can read the game quite well. And He's like a clone of Michael Jennings. I was going to say, he reminds me of a young Michael Jennings without the superior 100-metre speed that Jennings had. But Well, we haven't really seen him in open field yet. He's explosive off the mark, but you can see the trust already. Like, Ferguson had no... It made Ferguson better defensively. He he could make a decision... And I think that hampered the pen. He would run in and hit the centre, knowing that Penasini and everyone has got his back if they get around him. Close game. It was cagey. It was really cautious semi-final football. The teams played well, but it was no team really threw anything crazy at them other than the fantastic bombs, which were just amazing from both of them. Oh, they were. But it was the best two, oh, probably along with Adam Reynolds, the two, the three best kicking halves in the comp, right? Yeah. You know, sad... The Eels gave it a good shot. Yeah, they did. They did. What does this mean for the Eels next year? I think if they change coaches, keep the defence, improve the attack, they're a top four team. I think if Brad Arthur stays, they stay flat. They'll finish sixth or fifth. I think Brad Arthur is a good coach. I really do. I think they're fourth to sixth with Brad Arthur there. I think he's taken them as far as he can. I don't see this. Yes, I agree. I don't see this team getting better than where they are at the moment. Because the other thing with Brad Arthur too and Para is they've gone on a journey. They had a great season out of nowhere, got close to the grand final, then the next year were horrible, then back again, then horrible, then back again. And he's still got his style of football that he thinks he's going to win in the semis. And you know what, T? It hasn't won. And it's it's becoming the same movie every year. Good enough to be fourth to sixth. There's enough talent they play enough, but he doesn't quite have the game plan to beat the best defences in the league. He, even if he's there next year, he won't be extended. Next year is his last year of his contract. At the very least, it's his last year. I mean, they yeah. need they need some, or they need to go out and recruit the Storms' attack coach. They need to put some, and, and give him control. You let Brad tinker with the defence, and then you then you bring someone in because they they they're really predictable in attack. They're too predictable, but they've also got players with vision and speed. Dylan Brown, once he puts his foot on the gas, he can run. Mitchell Moses is still elusive. He's got a brilliant kicking game. Yeah, but all, and, and that's okay against the poor teams. But you need you need a bit more against the. Good you do, teams. and you got Gutherson, who's got great vision, hands, and can kick and read the game. And what happened to the halves combining? That happened against the Storm a few weeks ago. Correct. And it's now disappeared. Because he played more structured, because he played a more conservative game plan. So, look, I think they're going to be fourth to sixth next year. I think Penasini and Wanga Blake are now a good, a better centre combination. I think Hayes Dunster will get better. Gutho, they got Dylan Brown if he stays, and Mitchell Moses, mate, their back line... Well, Dylan Brown will stay at least for next year. I'm not sure Dylan Brown should start after this year. He's, he hasn't been that good this year. I, Jake Arthur might be a go. Will, but I think Dylan Brown played a lot better the last six weeks. He did, he did. But, but can I ask you a question? Yep. Why don't you move Dylan Brown to centre? He's great in defence. He's great in defence. He's a runner of the ball, not a ball player. He's a good defender. 
ball playing he can do, simple ball playing. Like, he fits all the criteria for centre. Good thought. I think he probably fits. It's not a bad idea. I just think they need to make some adjustments next year to try and go up a level. Otherwise, they'll just be in the fourth to six, win most of their games, because they're a lot better than a lot of these other teams. But he's got to unleash the vision of Gutho and, you know, have him kick early like Munster does. You know, run the ball, like kick early to the wings, kick outside, like use the, the talent at your disposal. Para will be in the top six again. As to whether they're fourth, third, sixth, I think it would just depend on how they adjust their game plan, mate. That brings us to next week's or this week's finals. Yes. Yep. So first up, it's Souths versus Manly. Souths are $1.77 favourites. Manly are $2.05 and Manly have a dollar one, one, one and a half point start. Yep. I'm... I, can I be honest? I'm a little bit in Ryan Girdler's camp. I think Souths will win this easily. Not 40 points, but, you know, I think they'll win by 8, 10 points in this game. I was thinking about this game and I thought, you know what, Manly's going to win. And the more I've thought about it after the weekend, I actually agree with you. I think Souths are a little bit better than them. I think if the Souths that played against Melbourne shows up, I think Manly have got no chance. Yeah, I think the Souths, the way they played against Penrith was really gritty, really good defense, and I don't. And they have firepower. They've got the Cody Walker. They've got Alex Johnson. They're rested. They've got a mobile pack, which is important. And DCE doesn't have that that floating bomb that Mitchell Moses and uh, and Nathan Cleary of Cleary's got. So it'll be a little bit easier for Blake Tarfe at the back. I think so. You still got Reynolds. You got Walker. You got. Um, I thought Gagai was fantastic against Penrith. To be honest, I thought he was probably his best game of the season. And he seems to be on a, a run of form, which is really good at the moment. Alex Johnson is another week back to sharpen their left edge again. They're really mobile in the middle of the ruck with Cam Murray and Jai Arrow too. I, I think they've got enough in defence. I don't like him, but Jai Arrow's been playing really He's been well really good. Shots. I suppose, I think their defence is mobile enough to stop, you know, Tommy Turbo just busting through tackles in the middle of the field. And I think South have got enough in attack to really, like, target a Morgan Harper and really challenge that. DCE, Morgan Harper, Jason Saab side of the field. And to be honest, Saab and Alex Johnson, are it's going to be hard to get Saab on, on the edge and around him. So I think that negates Manly as well. It isn't all just Tommy Turbo. You know, you pass the ball to Jason Saab and he, he makes 30, 40 metres, no one can touch him and Turbo looms up in support. You've basically got a guaranteed try, you know? I, I, don't, I disagree with that. I don't think Jason Saab creates breaks for himself like the way Josh Adokar does. I think he's got to be fed the ball. If they starve Jason, if they if the game gets played through the middle and Jason Saab doesn't get the ball, he's not someone who's going to go looking for it and make a break through the middle. Yeah. And what I mean is more so that when they do feed him the ball, he's someone that can make a 30, 40 metre and turn as a long half as chance. He's in space. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Whereas I don't know if he's going to get that against South and then he can't just be Tommy Turbo by himself. He works well with Gary and Saab. But having and having said that, if Tommy Turbo has a field day... He could. He could. This is the thing, right? He could. He's the best player on the field. He's the best player on the field. I just think South will be a little bit too strong for them. I think they'll, they'll cover Turbo well with their defence. Yeah, I agree. I think South will do it. All right, the next game is what many thought was going to be the grand final, yes. including you and I. Yes. Which is the Storm versus the Panthers. The Storm are $1.37 favourites. The Panthers are $3.10 outsiders. And the Panthers have seven and a half point start. Who would have thought that? Yeah. Yeah. I cannot see anything but a Storm win. The way the Penrith have been playing... I think the Storm have the firepower to breach their defence. Their, their, their attack is very direct. You've got Munster and Jerome Hughes that run at the line all the time. And they're yes. both elusive in different ways. 
Munster's got footwork and power to bust tackles, and Jerome Hughes can step and slice through the defence. They've got a bully king centre in Olam. They've got tall, rangy Remus Smith, and Addo Carr's back. Statistically, Remus Smith has had an outstanding season at centre. Their forward pack matches up. You know, they can't steamroll these guys. You're not going to get Kikau just steamrolling a Kafusi or a... Well, Kikau's on the bench. And Cypher Salomona, and I think Pappenheisen, more importantly, is back. And he's going to be hunting around any half chance that the Storm get, and they're going to turn a half break into six points. And I can't see them... Penrith has been very ordinary in attack T, and the variety's disappeared. And I just can't see them scoring against Melbourne. They've gone Melbourne. from being able to kill you 10 ways to only being able to kill you one way. That's not going to be good enough against Melbourne. And I think if they start to feel in the game that the game plan's not working or struggling, they're not playing with that freedom that they were early in the year. There's no fallback for them at the moment. And I think I think Melbourne will win and win comfortably. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the storm for mine as well. So we're, we're both predicting a storm versus South's game yes. final. Yep, that's right. Which will be great. It'll be great, and I'm expecting the Storm to win by 30. 60 points. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? That would just top this season off, wouldn't it? The biggest grand final winning margin of all time. 56 hours four or something like that, you know? Yeah. Just, that, that's this season, mate, I'll tell you. That's going to be the most depressing after grand final, final podcast of the season. I would go on a rant about how this season's just been ridiculous because... Well, let's hope it has been. It would, it has been, and you know what? It almost deserves that type of grand final. That The Storm have that been it that does. much better, and they just blow this team away because it's six agains or whatever, you know? Gee, that brings us to our team no, of the year. You're excited about this? The, yep. I am excited. I've done a lot of statistics. Um... How do you want to do this? Position by position, but I've picked two teams. Let's go position by position. Let's go. All right. Shall we start with the second? The All-NBA second team. Yeah. Oh, okay. The All-NRL second team. That's what I was thinking of this like. This is the All-NRL second team. All right. Who did you have at fullback in your second team? Uh, This was a close one for me from the second team. Yeah, I had three. I had three candidates for this role. The second team was a battle between Tedesco and Nico Hines. Oh, no, no. Nico Hines is in my second team, not at fullback. Okay, and I picked James Tedesco as the second best fullback in 2021. Okay, I have picked the second best fullback. The All-NBA second team fullback for me was also Teddy. Yes. But the two players that ran him very close, and if you pick me on another day, I might pick one of them, is King Gutho. Yes, Yes. So Gutho played 25 games. He was only rested for one game. He was the highest meter-gaining fullback in the comp. Yep. He had 32 offloads, 80 tackle busts, 14 line breaks. He made 108 tackles and only missed 21, less than one a game of fullback. He is the best defensive fullback in the he comp. He is. And Luttrell, I agree with that. If Latrell lost five kilos more, he would have run this close as well. Yeah, so um, actually I went with Teddy because... For this reason, I went with Teddy as well for this reason, the leadership he showed and the way he took the team on his back. Without that, without that involvement, when the team really needed him, I actually think statistically Clint Gutherson had a better season. I think Clint Gutherson is... Oh, it's weird. It's like when Para... He's one of those players that when Para plays, the commentators seem to say how good he is. But then when they're talking about overall players, his name doesn't seem to come up. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, oh, look, the other, defensively, in my opinion, defensively, he's the best fullback in the comp. I think he's better than Teddy and Tommy. Rarely misses a tackle. He is. He's fantastic fan- cover defence. The the other one for me, but just didn't play enough games and was out too long with injuries, is Ryan Pappenheisen. Yeah. He only played 14 games this year, so 
I mean, Tommy only played 17, but Tom, we'll talk about Tommy in the first team. <laughs> uh, look, I agree with you. I think there, there was a Nico Hines slash Clint Gutho, Ryan Pappenheisen didn't have enough games. But the reason why I, I got Teddy was the same reason as you. Just He had to step up and really become the main guy. I mean, rather than just add touches of class every now and again. And he just he carried the Roosters for some teams, as for some games. And but you know Gutherson and Nico Hines were sensational this year at fullback. All right, so G, that brings us on to the wingers. Who were your wingers for the second team? The second team, NRL. This was actually not as hard as I would have thought. My second team wingers were Alex Johnston, yes, and Jason Saab. Ooh, and the reason why is their finishing ability. They add that incredible speed and incisiveness that makes their team attack a lot better. I just think they've been sensational and they've scored 26, 27 tries each. I mean, it's unbelievable. But I did think of Brian Toto. He was very close. And I thought Jordan Rapana and Corey Thompson both had good years. Brian Toto was by far and away, in my opinion. Statistically the best winger. Oh, I think the eye test as well. Yep. Okay. So who was your two? who were your two? So my two was Josh. Well, I mean, who we're picking kind of reveals. Yes, it does. Right. Team, of course, right? it so, does. So um, I went with Josh Adokar. Yes. And Jason Saab, and it came down to Jason Saab and AJ. Whilst they're on different edges. Yes. They both play exactly the same role. They do. Finishing off they the backline moves. Um, and I just think Jason Saab's probably got a little bit more to his game this year, and. And so he got it for mine. But AJ went really close. AJ went really close for me. Okay, there we go. So that was that one. So who were your, who were your centres? Now I've got a couple of shocks here for the second to all NRL team. My two centres for the second team were Remus Smith and Dane Gagai. And I really thought hard. This was difficult because when you look at the stats, a surprising name comes up, which is Connor Tracy. I had Connor Tracy Uh, there. Yeah. um, Justin Olam had a great season. And I thought Adam Dwayne. I did consider him as well. Adam Dwayne and Herbie Farnworth were quite good um, in some instances too. But for me, Remus Smith and Dane Gagai, both defensively and offensively, were fantastic. All right. I didn't have Dane Gagai there. Uh, I didn't consider him. My two my centres were... Connor Tracy and Remus Smith. Now, yep. Remus Smith had an outstanding season for me. Now, the one that went close for me in the centres that um, I didn't name was Justin Olam. Yes. That's because you need that level of angriness in every team. <laughs> and Absolutely. I love Olam. What a player. So, Connor Tracy, though, you look at him, 24 games, 14 tries. Yeah, a surprising name, two right? Two try assists. Yeah. 2,855 metres, which was... In the top five for wingers. Yes. Third, in fact. Yep. 18 line breaks, 64 tackle busts. He's statistically yes. nearly there on every count. It was funny when you look up the stats, you realise his name kind of keeps on coming up. You know what I mean? Like, But you wouldn't think of him... I mean, it was great to see him play more, but I wouldn't thought wouldn't have thought his stats were that great across the board. So, an interesting name. You wouldn't have thought that, right? And actually, he missed more tackles than Dane Gagai, but you've got to remember, he played some games... At 5'8", too. So he had a bit of traffic going his way. So so I had Connor Tracy okay. and Remus Smith as my centres. Okay. Which is interesting, right? So let's let's move on to 5'8", in the second team. Do you want, I'll do the forwards first, and then give them your going first with the backs. So who did you have as your second team 5'8"? Um, I had Cam Munster. Luai was close, but Luai really lost form towards the back end of the year. But his first half of the year was so good that you still had to consider him, but... 
Munster for me has been typical Cam Munster year. You know, Melbourne wins, but then when they're struggling, he, he brings them home and creates... He really takes over the game at times, and he's, he's a fantastic player. So, Munster. Munster for you. All right, I had Nico Hines as my 5'8". Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so I... I cheated a little bit with yeah, this Yeah, but that's okay. He did play games of 5'8", yeah. He played games of 5'8". There's a lot of players that qualified for two positions this year, which we mentioned off-air. Just Nico Hines, actually, before up until the last few weeks, Ryan Pappenheisen versus Nico Hines was a real debate. I, I agree with that. And so I think he re- he needed to be rewarded for that in this team. No, fair, fair call on that one. So let's move on to the all-NRL second team. Halfback. Halfback. I picked. There actually aren't. The interesting thing is there aren't that. Look, we've spoken about this. Aren't that many great halfbacks? There's like there's like six halfbacks in the comp. I actually picked Daily Cherry Evans. I did too. For me, Mitchell Moses and Adam Reynolds, you could argue did all right, but um, I just thought once he realised that Manly might be able to win some games, he decided to start playing, and he's been pretty dominant for most of the year in Manly's wins. I agree. I, I completely agree. All right, shall we move on yes. to Locke? Yes, okay. Of the all NRL second team. Now, Locke, in my opinion, was the hardest position to pick for every, for all the teams, right? Yep. So I considered Nelson a Sofa Solomona. Oh, okay, I yep. Tino, although then I decided they're both props. Yes, I did the same thing, yes. Yep. So my actual second team. Lock was Connor Watson. Wow, okay. I thought about Connor Watson. I think this is more one of those, you pick him because he's in a good team type of picks, but I picked Cam Murray. I've, I've got Cam Murray, but not in the second team. And I've got Con- Connor Watson was someone I definitely considered, and also Victor Radley, but I thought Victor Radley didn't Victor play Radley enough for games. Me didn't play enough games. Didn't play enough games for me, yeah. But it wasn't a deep... Lock Lock wasn't a deep position. No, it was not. So for me, Cam Murray. So I've got Connor Watson because he's a jack of all trades. And, mate, I love watching the bloke play. He's a great player. I he's love like him. the Energizer yes, Bunny. He he's is. like the Energizer Bunny. He he's is. just fantastic to watch. He's great in defence. He's tough. He's creative. He brings energy to the team. I just, I just love watching Connor Watson. And I, I almost picked Connor Watson irrespective of stats. Yeah. He had a good season statistically, but I almost picked him... Irrespective of stats. Absolutely. All right. So should we should we do the second rowers now? Yes. Okay. For the second team, my second rowers were Angus Crichton and Tupanua. Okay. This is where I kind of... See, this is where it gets hard because some of these players look better because their teams were so dominant. Had Isaiah Papali'i. Okay. I've got Isaiah Papali'i, but not here. Actually, I'm going to make a change, actually, the more I think about it. Sorry. It is Angus Crichton and Oluwakaatu from Manly. And who did you have before you made the change? Oh, no. You, the, the person I had in the second team will move to the first team, right? Right. Uh, but Oluwakaatu was, I think, so dominant for Manly that I just couldn't leave him out. And he, it was between him and Tupanua, who I think had a magical year, Satili Tupanua. He's had the odd game where he hasn't played well, but that's to be expected. But... Filling in the centres, the danger he's added on the fringe, he's been great. But Oluquatu just, since he started playing bigger minutes for Manly, they've just, he, he's very dominant. He's a dominant player, and for me, he was fan, fantastic. So him and Crichton, because the more now I think about Crichton, there was a few games where... Yeah, but it's his best season ever. Best he season ever, but yes, he was. But there was some some games where I thought, you know what, he could have done a bit more. Sure, but I mean, they were, they were on a very depleted side. 
very depleted side. And if he wasn't suspended, he was actually the form back rower in the comp in the first half of the season. First half of the season it was. So Crichton and Ulokatu for me, T. -t I couldn't separate the Roosters' back rowers. Between them, they had 109 tackle busts and 24 line breaks. 35 offloads and somewhere in the vicinity of twelve over 1,200 tackles. Yeah, they were fantastic, the Roosters. Just, just absolutely fantastic. And they scored 21 tries between them. So I had I had Tupanua and Crichton as my second rowers. So my, that, that, that brings us to second team prop. So can I, can I tell you the one I had no problem picking at prop? Yes. And that was Christian Welsh. Okay. In my second team prop. Just because he's such a clever player, does he does all the one percenters that people don't see. Again, leadership played a big role in that for me, in that Melbourne Storm. I think he's quite important. He's probably the best defensive prop from marker. Yes. In chasing kickers down and those types of things. And I love the leadership role he plays in the community and what he says. He's always well, well spoken. Yep. So I had him as my, I, I, he was a no brainer for me. The last two positions came down to Tino and David Clever. I ended up going with Tino um, just because I think if I was picking the team, I think David Clemmer's got to such a point where he's statistically, he's getting through a mountain of work, David Clemmer, yep. but he doesn't give you the X factor that Tino gave them. And if you remember the first half of the season when they were losing games, there were games when Tino was carrying the team on his back and I didn't have games like that with David Clemmer. I had exactly the same two props. I had Tino Farsuomali for the Titans. I thought that, like you say, he was kind of the heartbeat of that pack and kept him in a lot of the games with his work ethic and his desire. He, he had a lot of a Melbourne attitude. The other person I had was Christian Welch. He does all the nitty-gritty things. He's like a more modern-day version of Aidan Tolman for me, more agile, more athletic. He just does all the little tiny things. He's a fantastic player, and he's really the key prop for... Melbourne, the I mean, store. the store, yeah, right? And the guys that I thought had really good seasons that I did consider as well were... Marty Tapao was one. For me, it was Isaac Liu. Uh, yeah. You know what, Jared Maria Hargrave, surprisingly. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. He had a great... He's, he's great. James Fisher-Harris, another yeah, one. Toby Rudolph, Paolo, Fotowaka, Burgess, Marty Tapao. I think they're all kind of sort of added the same thing. But for me, Tino and Christian Welch. All right, brilliant. And now we move on to hooker okay. in the second team. Who did I have at hooker, G? Who do you think I had? I'm pretty sure you had Blake Braley. No. No, okay. I had Reed Marnie. Oh, I had Reed Marnie too. Until he got injured, the form prop, uh, the form hooker in the comp. Remember he got picked for Origin, didn't play? I have to agree with that. By far and, by far and away, Reed. Reed Marnie. You know, a lot of the time, there's always a standout hooker. I thought this year, there were players well, that I had flashes. I think if Reed Marnie had played the whole season, he would have been the standout. I think he would have been the standout. Because whilst he was playing, like we say, players always have the odd poor game. But in general, you could watch the footy and go, you know what? Reed Marnie is actually playing hooker better than a lot of these other hookers at the moment. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, it yeah. was kind of an eye test thing. You didn't really need the stats. Um, I did think Blake Braley had a really good season for the Sharks as he well. Did. And I thought Reese Robson played pretty well for the Cowboys. He did. I thought Reese Robson was a lot older than what he did. Yes, I told you. He he's a lot younger. He looks like he's 100 years old. But, you old. know, then it's a matter of, you know, Blake Braley, Harry Grant, Reese Robson. There was there was you a few what? okay hookers. Jake Braley had a great... He did. Jake Braley had a great game too. Yep. Damien Cook, not so much. No, I thought he did his job, but I wouldn't say he stood out this. I don't year. think he's. I don't think he's played well for two seasons. I'll tell you who didn't. I tell you who didn't have a great season at hooker. Mitch Rain. 
No, he didn't. Neither did Sione Katoa. Break Bailey, Bailey didn't make my team because he missed a lot of tackles as well. For me, he's he's got a lot of he's a bit of an all round game. Him and Jake, they they're both good. All right, shall we move on to the first team? Yes. I think a lot of these positions pick themselves. Oh, they will. And yes. Yep. So let's go. Let's go through this a bit more quickly because okay. we've been going for yep. four hours already, yep. and it's now Christmas. Correct. Fullback. I think this is a no brainer, <laughs> don't you? Tommy Turbo. Gary Jack. <laughs> Gary Jack. Tommy Turbo. Tom Trebojevich. I don't think you can argue with that, really. A season for the ages. And actually, and actually, my player of the season, Tommy Turbo. I don't think we can argue with that. P- player of the season, Tommy Turbo, and Trent Robinson, coach of the year. For yep. Tom, Tommy Turbo, I mean, what do you say, man? He transformed Manly and turned them from a, a team that was losing and struggling to even win a game to basically and in a my, dominant my opinion, side. The best player in the game. Best player in the game. And he dominated at origin level too. It was a real season for Tommy Turbo. Uh, my wingers were... We're going to differ on this, I already know, because of what, what we picked. Correct, yes, that's team. right. I've got Brian Toho and Ruben Garrick. Now, Brian Toho I've got because I believe he is the best winger in the game. They moved, they moved Josh, Josh Adokar to the other wing to accommodate Brian Toho in origin. He is by far the best winger at take the hard stuff he when is. taking the he ball is. out from your own end. He is. He's fantastic. Some of these wingers are just finishers, like Saab and AJ. Brian Tao is almost like another middle forward. And for that work rate, I believe he offers more to the team than some of these other wingers. And for that reason, I picked Brian Tao. I tipped Ruben Garrick because I had to reward that season. He was just outstanding. I had to reward that season. It's just for the season. If I was picking Origin, I'd have Brian Tao. And Josh Adokar. Yes. But based on the season's output, I think Ruben Garrick and Brian Toa were the best wingers this year. I mean, like we spoke about already about Toa, I it's one of those things where I could have put him here, there. I actually, I think he's a fabulous winger. And I think Jeez, he's he was the second highest run meters for wingers. Yeah, he's fantastic. So 4,425. Daniel Tupu was the highest, 4,478. And Brian Tyler played seven less games than Daniel Turpin. Because he played, he missed seven or eight games, I thought, you know what, I probably left him off a little bit. But in terms of yeah. the winger, and when he's come back, you can see he's still injured. He's, he's kind of missing a little bit of his earlier sparkle he had earlier in the year. You know what I mean? He's still tough yeah. and gritty, but something's not quite right. And when you listen and to... Can I have an honourable mention as well that I didn't pick in either yeah. team's wingers? Um, Jordan Rapana. Yes, Jordan Rapana. I had him there. As an honor, him and Corey Thompson. He's a niggly bastard. A niggly, yeah. angry, and you know what? A fun player to watch. But I had Adokar and Ruben Garrick. I think Adokar is a machine, one of the, the most important cogs for that Melbourne team in terms of their attacking um, potency. And Garrick, I mean, look, it has been a crappy season offensively, and people are racking up points like crazy, but the, the confidence that he's gained and the level he's, he's gone to a higher level. And his goal kicking has been amazing as well. And just his aggressiveness when he's running the ball, he's been really impressive. Like he's always it on the attack been. and I really like that. And it's added something to Manly. So he's been fantastic. All right. Should we do the halves? I think these pick themselves. I had Cody Walker and Nathan Cleary. I would be amazed if you've got different players. I don't think you can have anyone else. Like really, Cody Walker, he's the magic for Souths. 55 line break assists for the season. By far, far and away the most... He just puts people into holes. He creates spaces for people. His vision, his the, the timing of his passing, everything. And clearly, just at the start of the year, it was just dominating the league. All right. Shall we move to the forwards? Well, what about the centers? Oh, shit. We forgot to yes. do the centers. My okay. bad. All right. Yes. I think we'll be different here, we, too. We will be. We'll have one that is the same, and the other one will be different. So my the best center in the comp 
and I've been saying this for years, is Joey Manu. And I had him here. I thought he was the best centre in the comp this year. Defensively, attack-wise, his game went to another level until his best mate broke his jaw. (laughs) So, so, Jesus. Only only in the NRL. Yes. So, Joey Manu, for me, was absolutely outstanding. And my other one... Yes. And I changed it, because I originally had Connor Tracy there. I actually changed it. Matt Burton. Uh, Oh, we did have the same. I thought you didn't have Matt Burton. So I think the same. Manu, for me, has always been really good. And the interesting thing with him is it was always, like you said, the players say he's the best. But I think this year, he's. we spoke about it earlier, that he was forced to up his involvement because of the injuries. And he just became dominant. Not just yeah, correct. dominating on the end of the Roosters team. He became a dominant player. And Matt Burden, I think, added that the speed, the acceleration, the the run the the timing Gee, of his he's running. He's a really good center. I don't know what you do. He's a really good center. I don't know what you do with The more um, I watch him at center, I he was just fantastic. He's he's the way he would run inside and he, he plays like an old school center that used to know what angles to run if at the right time. We didn't pick centers out of position because if you were picking a center for the Australian team, if Mal miraculously had a game to coach at some point in the next 20 years, um, you'd play <laughs> you'd play Tommy Turbo and Latrell Mitchell, right? But they're both fullbacks playing out of position. That's you right. You can argue about Latrell. Yeah. But if you were actually picking centers who play center, Matt Burton be would be the starting yes, left center absolutely. for Australia. I don't think there's any argument about that. He reminds me of, you know, when you watch the older footy and the players just cut in at the right time too. They just got this awareness of when to make a run inside or outside. He's got all that. And he, he makes, I don't know, and he's got pace, surprising pace, and he can motor. So, And he stepped up and played better when some of the key players were out. I thought he was great. God, our teams are closer than we thought. Oh, yeah, I know. I'm surprised. Okay, go with... Locke, you go. You're up. This was tough, but I had Isaiah Yo. I had Cam Murray. Okay. I just think he's the hub for the Panthers in the forwards. He and is. He's like the pivot that makes it work. And I thought at the start of the year, he was sensational. And defensively, for the rest of this back half of the year, he still maintained that. And I thought he's still playing the same role, even though the Panthers aren't going as well. But I thought he's, he's been very consistent. He's consistently excellent. I think Cam Murray is very disciplined, doesn't miss tackles. And when he's playing, the, the South's attack look a lot better because... What he gives them is momentum. Yes, he does. And a really quick play of the ball. He does, yes. I hear what you're saying about Isaiah Yo. Yep. And he's one of my honourable mentions. Yeah. But he's a bit, he's a, it's a bit like um, the conversation we had mm. about um, about Clemmer versus um, Tino. Yes, okay, yes. Yeah, so so for me it came down to that. And, and in this instance, Isaiah Yo, he does everything asked of him. Yep. And he was in my team of the year last year. Yep. But he didn't give me... He didn't give me as much an X factor as Cam Murray gives me in the team. Yeah, I agree with that. I understand exactly what you're saying. They are different players. Like, like they were line ball decisions for me. Actually, well, they, the, Locke was a hard position. Locke was hard. Right? So I, I had Connor Watson, Cam Murray, and Isaiah Yo kind of, kind of in the same bucket. And I went with Connor Watson in the second team and Cam Murray in yep. the first team because they just gave me a bit more. Yeah, I would agree with that. They, they, he plays a very composed role, Isaiah Yo. I mean, Isaiah Yo would be... In, he's like he's like Boyd Cordner. You pick him, and then he just won't let you down. Yes, right? yes, I agree with that. But it doesn't and give so, you a huge X factor. No, he just plays his no, pivot role, passes the ball out, etc. Yes, I agree with that. I just thought he was he really played a massive part for the Panthers. But yeah, fair enough. 
That's one difference. There you go. That's good. One difference in the first team. We didn't have as many in the second team as I thought either. So anyway, second rowers, who have you got? I think we will be different here. I've got Isaiah Papali. And... Oh, so do I. Oh, no, he was fantastic. He was fantastic. I think maybe it's because he so far exceeded expectations that you think this guy has just had an no, amazing no, no. year. I, 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 think, I think he was the best second rower in the comp. I think by far and away, he was the best second rower in the comp, mate. T, his energy, his enthusiasm, his defense, his his impact when he was running the ball, I, and even sometimes looking to pass and offload, I just think he's been fantastic. He had the most run meters by any second rower. Yeah, he's in just involved, right? And I, you might have, this might be a surprise, and this is the one with Crichton, is I put... Kolomatangi from South as my other back rower. I could only think of him as the menu log ad, shooting the <laughs> shooting the rugby ball as a basketball. The more I watched him, and the more the season went on. M-E-N-U-L-O-G. Did somebody say G-U-Log? The more the season went on, the more he got better and better and better to the point where I think now he's actually a dominant right-hand side fringe back rower. He didn't do it enough for me consistently over the whole season. He's in my honourable mentions. Yes, it could be a recency bias because I thought he's built up to towards the end of the season. I, I agree with that. If he played the way he did last week all season, oh, he would have made the team. But I think he's, you're right, he's built up to it. He's a bit like Wayne Bennett, right? He built up to it. Yes. But I don't, I don't think he was anywhere for the first eight weeks, right? He was just in there doing a job. Yeah. Young, finding his way, but he's been... Who I've been got yes, as okay. my other second role. Don't tell me Josh Schuster, please. No, I've got David Fafita. I left him off. Now, I can understand why, because he's overweight and he can't play 80 minutes and he's getting I agree, but let's look. And he's got no lateral movement no, for a second rower no. in defence at all. That's why I didn't but, pick him. Oh my God. What a destructive force on I that know, edge. I know. Dude, dude, David Fafita had 22 line breaks and 17 tries. He had 156 tackle busts, okay? It was anybody even close. Tom, that's more than Tom Trebovich and, and James Tedesco. He was unstoppable, and he only played four minutes a game. He had 44 offloads. You know what? The more you think about it, I think the issue was I was like, yeah, but, you know, the Titans were disappointing. He was carrying a bit of weight. But the games where All he actually true, switched but on. just destructive. Oh, mate, you remember that game against Newcastle early in the year where it was like he just took the tap and ran at six of them and but, still but, went yeah, through them and Do you remember scored? what it was? Do you remember what it was? It was like the little kids that are three years old hanging on to their dad at yes. a party. That's what it was yeah. like. Yes, that's exactly. I've like, got a new nickname for him too. He's Bruce Banner. Oh, mate, he is, because now I think about it. Like, He's Bruce Banner. That game against Newcastle, it was like, hey, give it to the big guy. Hey, man, just run over them. But this is first grade. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was like under sevens with yeah. the one kid that's like yeah. double the yes. size of everyone and else. In fact, I don't think I've seen that in a long, long time where someone just gets the ball. There's five defenders there. There's no one else. It's just a one-out run off a tap, and he just... They hang off him and he still barges through them and scores. So I get it, man. You know what? His highlights and some of that stuff far exceed anything. But I, I guess... couldn't leave him off, G. I know, I know, I know. I couldn't leave him off. Isaiah Papali and uh, Dave. Oh, uh, fair enough, yeah. Okay. Second rise. <laughs> 
Who did you have as your other second row? I had. Oh, you had Colin Col- 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 Tungy. I just thought he's, yeah. he was a bit. His defence got better as the year went on. I just thought now he's... Dude, I agree with that. I agree. He just, he just didn't have the body of work over the whole season for me. Yeah? But for feeders' I'm highlights... Measure, I'm not measuring this on height of the season. I'm measuring it as a yes. body of work. Yeah. And, it's a, and it's hard to ignore Dave Fafita on a body of work. There, it isn't. Like now, I don't, th- I don't think a second rower has scored 17 tries since Steve Menzies. He hasn't, man. And the thing is, the tries are literally... just gets the ball and just steamrolls Yeah, they're, not, they're not Steve Menzies' tries either. They're just... No. Yeah, correct. Oh, the more I think about it, some of these tries are actually outrageous for first grade. Outrageous. Like they are. Now, should we move on to prop? Yes, I think one, one of, of these picks themselves. Yes, I think so. Payne Haas picks himself, right? He's I think by so. far the best prop in the game. I think he's become the best prop very clearly this year. I agree. I don't think there's any doubt that Payne no. Haas is the best prop in the game. Who did you have as your other prop, though? I, I, this was hard for me. There was a lot that I thought were about the same. But yeah, I agree. I actually, I actually went with James Fisher-Harris. Again, I thought when he went out, Penrith really, really missed him. And I just think he's defensively superb in the middle of the field. And he gives Penrith agility and destruction in the middle of the ruck. He doesn't stand out as much, but he's like a machine. And he just never yeah. misses tackles. G- just generally speaking, there were times I think where even he succumbed to a bit of the, we're too good for this team, let's switch off a bit. But I think he's he's their engine that they need in the middle of the field. And I think he's fantastic. All right. I went with Marty Tapao. Interesting. As the other part. Okay. Yeah. I would never, ever have guessed that. Never. Yeah. So I went with Marty Tapao because I agree with you. A lot of the props are very, very similar. And I can understand why you'd pick James Fisher-Harris, but they were very, very close in my book. But when I compared Marty Tapao to James Fisher-Harris, yep. in every statistical category, Marty Tapao was ahead. More run meters, more run meters, more line breaks, more tackle busts, more offloads. More minutes, more runs. James Fisher-Harris fell away for me a little bit. I do, yes, I do think so. Like the last few weeks he hasn't been, I I think Marty Tapao's been really consistent for Manly this year. I think you know what you're getting with Marty Tapao. That's fair enough. And you know what the weird thing is? I think with Marty Tapao, even though he sort of stands out, I think because of all the Tom Trebojevic and Jason Saab and Garrick running, you know, 60, 70 metres, I think some of that impact's been missed a little bit in that he does all the, the big work down the middle. So... I, that's an interesting one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought it would be Marty Tapao, but I think fair enough. Yeah, I think he's overlooked a little bit, Marty Tapao. So I think so. I had I had him in my team. But but again, I thought the second prop, you know, Tino went close, Christian Welsh went close. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, but James Fisher-Harris was an honourable mention. I know. We yeah, no, no, fair it. enough. Just, that's all right. Just he fell away for me a little bit too much. If you If you really think about it, if you really think about it, has James Fisher-Harris been as good since Nathan Cleary first went out? I'm not sure. If you really think about it, his form has mirrored the Panthers' form a little bit. So that's half, that's half a season now. Do you know what? I would say you're so that's, right. That, that's, that's I would what's say you're right, with, yes. With James Fisher-Harris. He's good, but he's not what he was at the beginning of the season. And since Nathan Cleary came out of that team, even when he's come back, they're not the same team. No, And that I goes agree. for James Fisher-Harris I agree well. with that. I do. I still have him there, but I agree with, I agree with you on that one. I think that's That was my logic. Good... I'm just giving you my logic. I'm not looking for you to... Yeah. It's a lot of sense. A lot of sense. I found this year hard to pick because some of these guys, like they played like 40 minutes and their team's winning 40 nil, And it's like... Yeah, correct, correct. You know, like Cam Murray, I know he's had a good season, but in a lot of the games, he hasn't really had to have great games. Yeah, but the, but the thing for me is, if you remember, he was great in Origin. Cam Murray's played really well in big games. He has, yes. I like Cam Murray. And that and that 
makes a difference in my eyes. It's not you get less points for me in my eyes from doing really well against poor teams than you do how you show up against the better teams. Fair enough. Okay, so we're done. And okay, before we no start, hooker. No. Oh hooker. I think that one's going to be hooker. an easy one. Brandon Smith. I think Brandon Smith. And partly because of Melbourne, but partly because of his impact. And I just think... The cheese. Reed Marnie didn't play enough games at the end. And yeah, I think he's been the best hooker this year. I mean, you say Reed Marnie didn't play enough games. He played 17. I was su- he surprised. Played 17. Yeah. We, pick, we picked Tommy Turbo with 17. Yes. But the difference is, Tommy Turbo had such an outstanding season. And I don't think you... You know, if I'm a coach, do I take 17 games of Reed Marnie or 23 or 25 games of Brandon Smith? I'll take 23 or 25 games of Brandon Smith, right? That's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's what so it is. So it's a body of work. I look at it as a body of work as opposed to the heights or... So we'll see how we go with the two-night extrava- extravaganza with the Dally M's to see how close we got. Okay, Dally M. I think this is... Who do you think is going to be the Dally M player of the year? I thought Cody Walker... I think it's going to be kind of like the Brownlow, where it's going to be Cody Walker and Tommy Turbo getting. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's. I you. I thought you were going to say Brendan Favola is going to get drunk. And... Oh, that hey, I was watching that live. That Brownlow, it was actually. I at first I was like, <laughs> it was is this the best TV? Oh yeah, I was like, is this guy for real? And then I realised he's wasted, and he was just off and going. And <laughs> I just saw shit. This is great. It was brilliant. How good's that? It was fantastic watching that, but kind of like the Brownlow in terms of I think that both of them are going to poll very, very high, and it's going to be very close. Oh, you think it might be a drawn, drawn? Very close. I think Cody Walker or Tommy Turbo are going well, to get very close. Well, they can't draw. They can't draw. Doesn't it go back to how many three-point games? Yeah, yeah. Got? No, and but I mean, Tommy Turbo. It might be Tommy Turbo. Be Tommy yes, Turbo. he will be. But he might beat him by I two think points. I think Cody Walker's polled in more games. Like, I think Cody Walker will end up with more two-point games. I think Tommy Turbo will end up with more three-point games. Absolutely, for sure. It's a matter of if he's got enough to beat the the head start that Cody Walker got at the beginning of the year for South. So I'm expecting it to be very, very close between the two. I'm probably going to tip Tommy Turbo. But when I think about this season, this is where some sensibleness has to go over this. If I think about this season, I'll remember Tommy Turbo, not Cody Walker. Exactly. Uh, I think Tommy Turbo is going to pip him on right, very close, but maybe two points. You know, you don't remember the other players in J- J- Jared Haynes' two thousand and nine or Ben Barber's twenty twelve season? No, do you? you don't. So I think, um, yeah, Did mate, Ben Barber win the Dally M. Oh yeah, he was like same yeah, thing. Well, he was streets ahead he of everybody. It. Yeah, he was deserved it. It was a great season. Honestly, I think Tommy Turbo is going to win it, and he might get close to forty points, which is oh, if he incredible. gets close to forty points, then then I think he will. I think he'll get forty. I don't think Cody Walker will poll 40. I think Cody Walker will play 30, 30 something. Yeah, that's what yeah, I'm thinking as well. Like but the more I think of Tommy Turbo T, he probably played, what, you know, 16 games. Or, you know, in at least 12 of those, he was the man of the match. Well, we'll see. Not long to wait, a week to wait. All right, that brings us to the close of another GNT show. I hope you've stayed with us during this marathon. It is a marathon. Because it's now 6 a.m. on Tuesday morning. I've got to go cook breakfast. It used to be dinner. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> that brings us to the close. We're nothing if not quick on this show. I know. Brings us to a close. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you again next week for our second last episode of the GNT yes, show for this year. Correct. And um, it's always a pleasure. Enjoy yourself tonight, and talk to you next week. See ya. See ya. Bye.